Where are you looking? I'm looking at the camera. The screen or the camera? I guess I should be looking at the camera. This camera? The middle yeah. camera. Are you rolling? So we're both pretty tired. I don't want to make this about me, but I haven't slept a lot this week. Anything, Make? I'm wearing a no, Don't care. Nobody cares if you're sick. Finally the weekend, huh? Yeah. Feels good. It's been a tough week for your boy here. I don't want to make this about me, um, but I've been tired, and I'll get to that in a bit. Making though, you've been sick. You're playing hurt today. I had a sinus infection. For those who are unaware, that's when your sinuses are infected, and it was a bad week. But uh, antibiotic, cleared protocol, feeling good. The voice is the last thing to come back, I'm told, so... Yeah, I mean we'll we'll be we'll be all square there by Monday, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and this is a weekend that we both earned yeah. this week. I mean we we had to grind it out, and here you are. And I missed you on likewise on, uh, earlier in the week. Uh, that was not as fun. Uh, you don't have to bullshit me. It wasn't very fun talking alone. So good to have you back. Um, this week I traveled to San Francisco to uh, pitch Water Boys to a bunch of great folks there. Uh, by the way. Every time I go to San Francisco, I don't know if this is a hot take, best city on the West Coast. Hmm. Um, played there for eight years, loved Candlestick, loved staying downtown, just a beautiful place. You know what I love? Hoodie weather, good sleeping weather, winter sunshine, they have all that. And the people are pretty nice. Um, but yeah, I had to take a red eye home, landed, spent a day with my family, then popped up to Philly last night for the game, didn't miss my flight, had a great show, had Dwight Freeney in, which was surreal. I mean, you talk about a guy that, you know, he's had 20, 125 career sacks, which puts him at like 16th of all time. He's not the 16th best, best rusher of all time. He's, he's better than that. He's a guy who could run through you, run by you, and of course his calling card was a spin. And to sit with him prepping for a segment in the show where I have to break down his pass rushing in front of him, that's, ner that's nerve-wracking. But my man was really cool, gracious, and it confirmed what I thought watching him play is he's so cerebral. Um, and I don't throw that word around a lot unless I'm talking about you or Dwight Freeney. Right, cute guy. Cute guy. Um, yeah, but it was awesome hearing him break everything down. It was like a chess match every Sunday when he took the field and just wore people out. Um, one thing I did during my travels this week is I forgot my laptop on a plane. Luckily, the Deputy Secretary of State I think his name is John Sullivan. Um, I don't know if you want to Google that before I finish this bit. Not a bit. There's nothing funny about it. I left my laptop on the plane, and, and this dude who's evidently one of the dudes in the government. John J. Sullivan. Yep. He is a big Pats fan. Don't know if he would have returned my laptop had he not been a Pats fan, but that's how he qualified it. He was very gracious in running me uh, my MacBook Pro. Easily could have took it, stole all my secrets, my browsing history. Do you think about it? That's either the worst thing or the, it's probably the worst person you want to grab your 
your laptop, somebody in the government. Yeah. Because if they want you, they can get you. They probably already have you. You're right. Um, also, this week we saw a lot of costume and, and uniform stuff going on. We saw the indie linebackers, and we'll, we'll, we'll throw this, this picture up. They rolled up in a Mortal Kombat get-up on Thursday night. You got to worry about post-game. Uh, what do you, did you pack a second set of clothes just in, in the event of an L? And if you do, does that mean that you're not, not all in on winning? You know, we used to have guys suggest in the Rams days that we show up in like fatigues and all this stuff as a D-line because we were a pretty good group. And I, I never was a big fan of that because, you know, just being real, realistic, you, you could lose. Yeah. And now they are 20% chance to get into playoffs. Hopkins, uh, Fuller were spectacular the other night, and uh, now they are 60% plus chance of winning that division. So uh, Colts, a lot of good news yet to come, but this might be a bump in the road. They had one too many injuries in that stretch there where they dropped games to the Steelers uh, and and the Dolphins. So um, most cap room in the league, done a terrific job. Jacoby continues to impress, but that loss puts him behind the eight ball. Uh, uniforms this week, as I alluded to, I want you to check some of these out. I didn't even warn you about this. We have a Sacramento-Milwaukee mashup here. Uh, can we show the people watching on YouTube? Looking forward to Sacktown versus Cream City. I bet you are. <laughs> That's what the tweet says. Evidently, um, Milwaukee is known as the Cream City. Did you know that? I did. The mentions under that were terrific. Yeah. Load management. Yeah, once Malcolm went there, now in Indiana, um, I followed Buck's Twitter and was familiar with... Cream City. Cream City. (laughs) Not real familiar with Cream City, nor is it advisable to pick the game against Sacktown to Don. The new, by the way, very good-looking uniforms. Synergy. The NBA is the anti-NFL in that sense, where you can only wear one lid. NBA, it's a free-for-all. Yeah. Pick as many unis as you like. And I like that. Now, yeah. one uni I wasn't a fan of, I'll just come out and say it, was the Mavericks graffiti. <laughs> it's just, hey, yeah. yeah. That's like the, that's the dare officer get up of, uh, of NBA uniforms. Like, hey, fellow kids. Right. Seen this graffiti? Right. I'm into street art. That could work maybe in Philly. Fresh Prince. Oh, Fresh theme. Prince, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think he's doing some graffiti art before he... He was in West Philadelphia. Goes to Bel Air. What's funny is I grew up not watching that show. I also grew up not watching Home Improvement. Yeah. I didn't watch any of that stuff. I don't know what happened in my childhood. I was watching Terminator and Howard the Duck. Yeah, weird. Was there one movie you watched when you were a kid that you shouldn't have been watching? No. Besides Skinamax? I'm not going to. Well, Jesus. I. No, I was a good kid. You were a good kid. Still am. Speaking of uh, costumes, I'm wearing eye cream. Yes. Fighting through sinus infection. For my entire adult out. life, people have said, you look tired. You've said it to me. My yeah. parents have said it to me. Haggard. And I've just said, yeah, most of the time. Yeah. But then it's like, nah, if I'm getting a solid eight every night, let me tell the people what's up. Mm-hmm. 
and that is that this is just how I look. It's a condition. The, the skin beneath my eyes is thin. It lacks melanin. It's translucent. I don't know what to tell you. This is what I look like. But <laughs> when dealing with the sinus infection, it was looking real bad there. Beginning yeah. of the week, midweek. So I'm wearing eye cream. I think it, I think it makes me look worse. You frankly. think it could be a, a permanent no, thing? No, I don't think it's working. But you have a condition. Translucent lower eye skin. Is that a condition? Maybe. I don't know. We'll, we'll get on WebMD. This is going to drive the pod listeners to the YouTube channel. That's yeah, what I'm doing here. For sure. They want to see how shitty your eyes look. Yeah. On the record, they don't look any different than normal, so I don't know if the eye cream is working. Okay. Thank been you. a long week, though. I've got some ailments and conditions myself that have to do with aging. I don't know if I want to divulge all of them, but... Okay. Um, Feel free to. I've got a couple laugh lines coming in. Yeah. But if you got the stubble, that plays better. I just, it's a hot tip. Maybe go with the beard. Yeah, can't do it. Can't. Can't. Let's go with bad tweets. Uh, I saw a couple this week, or tweets I disagree with. Let me say, there's no tweet that's absolutely bad. This is a matter of opinion. It's subjective. Uh, what do we have first here? We've got Rick Riley. If I want a job at McDonald's plus 25 McDonald's bosses plus staff fly to the same McDonald's facility to interview me, maybe I shouldn't wear a FU McDonald's t-shirt, cancel the whole thing within an hour to go, then wonder why won't McDonald's hire me? Hashtag Kaepernick. Thanks for putting the hashtag on the end, Rick. Yeah, figured it out. We figured that out. Um, interestingly enough, I don't think that's a clean analogy. I've never seen that happen in a McDonald's or a fast food sense. Um, to be fair, I don't think we've ever seen what happened with Cap before this past also, week. Also, I don't know if we're playing along with that analogy, we're kind of leaving the waiver part out, which has certainly gained some traction. I'm not going to do a Cap bit here. We've been beaten to death by what the league has and hasn't done, and uh, I am definitely pro-Cap. I remain pro-Cap, and I remain not trusting the league. So uh, I would also say this. I used to read Rick Riley in print every time I was on the shitter as a kid. I would sit on the shitter way too long, you know, legs falling asleep, reading Rick Riley. <laughs> of course, I wasn't as fast a reader, so that could be a while. But it, he, he's one of my favorite writers. And to think that now my legs are falling asleep on the shitter reading Twitter... <laughs> And I'm reading Rick Riley's bad tweets. It's come full circle. Yeah. Or it doesn't come anywhere at all, really. <laughs> You've made no progress. I have made no progress. In fact, I've gone backwards because I'd much rather be reading a magazine, okay, Boomer, than, uh, than perusing Twitter for bad takes. There's another one I disagree with, and I like Doug, and we're going to get to Philip Rivers in a bit, but... Doug here says that I'm going to come right out and say it. This is, of course, during the Monday night game. If a black quarterback was ever so busy talking shit, he was late to his own huddle in a game where he threw four back-breaking interceptions, the NFL would bury him so deep, the dude would never breathe again. Bro, you know I love to bring race into it. If you ask MAGA folks, I am a white guilt cat. Really guilty to be white. Got a son named Waylon. Can't dance. I use the word WDE, the acronym, all the time. Like, I'm really ashamed. 
But I will say that sometimes it can be a reach. And I'll say this because I have experience with a black quarterback that tripped me walking back to the huddle, Stick, stuck his foot out and tripped me. I almost fell on my face. I get up, talk shit to him. We're going back and forth. That very same drive, he throws a pick. Who is it? His name is Jameis Winston. Yeah. So many of the replies had already addressed uh, what I thought to be a bad analogy there. They were like, well, does Jameis Winston not exist? Right. Leads the league in picks, and I've seen him draw plenty. Um, I do think that the time is running out for Jameis. On a serious note this week, we've got, of course, the aftermath of the Miles Garrett thing continues to unfold. Uh, in short, if you've been living in a bunker, Miles Garrett uh, played whack-a-mole with Mason Rudolph on Thursday night um, and was rightfully suspended indefinitely, which the league has upheld. And, of course, I am biased in that I like Miles Garrett. I know him. I handed him the keys to Waterboys. We're sticking with him. That's my quick summary of what's been going on. And, of course, there was the fallout when it comes to the actions. And for the record, I'm the guy that got up and condemned his friend's actions immediately after. Didn't say really a word about Mason Rudolph. I didn't make it a take thing on Mason Rudolph. We didn't know what the motivation was. Yesterday comes around and somebody from the league office leaks that during uh, Miles Garrett's appeal to the league to reduce the suspension that he insinuated, well, flat out alleges that there was a slur used once, if not multiple times, on the field. And so now the outrage has shifted to Miles Garrett for not only being violent, but a liar because he waited till midweek. But the people alleging that are missing one giant fucking detail. Sorry about saying that word. We almost got through the the whole open, but I'm passionate about this. I don't care if you think Miles Garrett is a liar. I don't care if you think Mason Rudolph is a liar. If the premise of you calling him a liar is that he waited till this week, you're not very smart or you're willfully ignorant. Because Miles Garrett didn't wait to this week to come out with it. He never came out with it at all. Miles Garrett's plan, and I know this, was that he was advised, he was advised to keep this on the low and just bring it to the league office. Now, I, I don't agree with that advice, but the plan was, if he didn't have to, not to make it public, from what I understand. And I knew about this Friday after we shot the show. I knew that there was a rumor from people close to the situation that there was a slur. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But for the record, that rumor was out there. And Miles and his team, although I disagree with it, were going to hold that. Now, his motivations, I can't speculate on that. But we've reached this point now where... Most people think he's a liar because somebody at the league office leaked something that was supposed to be in confidence. Now, I don't know if it was Miles' team that leaked it, but I don't know why they keep it quiet that long and then leak it. The league was unfazed by the allegation without evidence and has withheld the suspension. So you're looking upheld. at... Yeah, upheld. We'll, we won't wait, wait for the corrections to get to that. You're looking at this situation... And again, if you're calling him a liar because of the timing, 
of when he said it and when he didn't say it, you're missing the point. He never said it at all. It was leaked. I think it's fucked up. It got leaked. I think if somebody in the league office did that, that's really screwed up. And if somebody like, you know, I know Jacina Anderson and Adam Schefter have jobs to do, but they really put this kid behind the eight ball. He put himself behind the eight ball and swinging that helmet. But this is something that he chose to kept private to keep private at least between him and the league in the appeals process. And now it's out there for the world to see. And when they first learn about it, they don't learn about it with context. They learn about it in a 240 character tweet that doesn't drive home the point that Miles never had intention of sharing this publicly or making an excuse. And now it looks like he has to make it, he's making an excuse and justifying his actions, which he came out and I thought eloquently put that He's not making an excuse for his actions. They're unacceptable, but he knows what he heard. Now, again, I don't know what happened on that field. I think it's just as unfair to call, to be sure Mason said this because he has a crush on Tommy Lauren. Not, not the knockoff Tommy Lauren, Britt McHenry. The real Tommy Lauren. He has a crush on her. Um, or whatever. If he, he wears a red hat, I don't care. If you wear a red hat, I'm not going to assume that you drop an N-bomb on a field full of 20 large black dudes. I mean, like, I might disagree with your politics, but you got to be pretty fucking dumb. And I'm not saying it's out of the question. People said Mason's outburst was just as uncharacteristic as Miles's, And uh, I think it's unfair in the same vein to assume because Miles didn't come out with it right away that he's lying. I mean, it's, it's that simple to me. And the unfortunate thing is we'll never know the truth. There are two people that know the truth, maybe more. But there's two people that truly know the truth. And the, and the concept that Miles and Rudolph having a, a heart-to-heart on the ground or elsewhere in the game had to be heard by somebody else is bullshit. I mean, it's totally plausible, if I'm being honest, that something said and nobody else heard it. And of course, the NFL now coming out and saying, we don't have any tape, which is very unlikely uh, from sources close to the situation who are unbiased and don't have a, a side in the fight, guys in the league that work in that, in that corner of the league with, with microphones and, 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 and that sort of thing say that it is very abnormal that nobody would be mic'd up on that game. So the NFL can't have, and again, I'm not alleging something's true or not, but if you're the NFL, what you can't have is a violence and a racism problem. You can't slap the racism thing on top of the violence thing. That would be a lot to overcome. We're going to talk about that and more. And we're just coming out of the Miles Garrett stuff. Uh, I want to bring in somebody from the old NFL who's seen a lot of <laughs> shit. Uh, Olin Krutz played 14 years, pro bowler and all pro in the year that the Bears made that Super Bowl run. One of the most badass dudes I used to watch on tape. Olin, how we doing, man? I'm doing good, man. How are you guys? We're good, man. We're good. We're just, you know, it's been a crazy week, you know, because the Miles stuff, when you're trying to, trying to nail that down in a podcast and, and give your take on it. It's such an inflammatory topic. And then on top of that, I know the kid. And as you know, he was, you know, he's part of my charity and everything. And I, I think he's a good kid. What do you make of not only the instance, but the situation afterwards, like the people's takes and you know, never seen anything right. like this before. But if the first thing you think about, and you talk about the old NFL, Chris, right, is you think about that would no one would have overreacted to that before. There probably would have been a one-game suspension. Uh, there was a fight that broke out on the field. The one thing Miles can't do 
uh, in that situation is swing the helmet. Uh, now, no one's proven that there was a racial slur being used. Uh, he got kicked in the groin. It, it, you can see that on a picture. Even though Rudolph maybe didn't mean to do it, if you look at the picture, if someone's cleats are that close to my nuts, I'm going to react to that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Just a little I mean? bit. Just and a then, little bit. Yeah. And then the guy's pulling at his face. So you can see yourself. I can see myself. I won't speak for you. I can see myself losing it in that instance, right? And 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 hopefully not swinging a helmet. But I won't say that that's not beyond me for that to happen. You just and that yeah, is twenty three. You, you never know. Yeah, and I saw you tweet this, which I like. And this is me. Like I said this earlier in the show. I like Miles Garrett. I'm not even gonna make a bone about it. I I I love the kid. I think he's a good kid. I thought it was surprising. And I condemned this shit right after it happened. I didn't talk about the first day. I didn't think that was the day to talk about Mason. I didn't talk about Mason. But, you know, certainly he played a part in, in sparking that thing off. And, and additionally, at 23, as you mentioned, we're different people. We just are. And I don't know what I would have done, to your point. And you can speak for me as well because, you know, we've both been in some NFL fights. When you see red, you see red. And that's not an excuse. It's, there's a difference between an excuse and explaining the context. And that to me is like where it gets lost is people that are explaining the context and why this might happen. And we agree. You can't people, you can't play whack-a-mole with Mason Rudolph's head, (laughs) but the people that don't get it. And the thing that drives me crazy is people that, that played in the league as long as you or I and longer saying that they never see anything like it. I just thought that was an insane. I mean, we had Flozo Adams, we had Antonio Smith, we had other people that you and I both know that have, that have had numerous ugly fights in the NFL uh, that never made the camera. And I think part of it was primetime. Part of it is Twitter now. So if you're on Twitter, you read the room before you tweet. That's what I think people do mostly now. They get on their timeline. They say, well, what's everybody else's take? Oh, yeah, they're condemning this shit. He's got to be gone forever. I need to type something like that. That's how I think it went down. Look, I, I went and took a picture of every ESPN guy's reaction. And you'd be amazed how they all sounded exactly alike. Uh, assault, this is, the, the, the thing that amazes me is are you actually appalled at what happened because are actually shocked? Like, I'm shocked that you're shocked in this game of violence when violence actually breaks out. Yeah. And, and a kid's only 23. I did things that at 23 I hope no one holds me accountable for because uh, we're all growing up, we're all learning. People saying this is assault, throw him in jail. He should never be allowed to play again. Well, in my, in my take is that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he needs to learn from this situation at 23 years old. Um, he's losing. They're keeping him out of the league indefinitely. And to me, if you ask me, that's just because of the reaction on Twitter. That's why he's been kept out of the league indefinitely. Um, Adam Schefter said uh, this is assault. He, he, he should be um, sued by Mason Rudolph. Uh, these these are crazy comments to me. Yeah, uh, you're out there, and like you're saying, the former players that don't seem to understand it. Like I, I saw Booger McFarland this morning said, "There's no reason for violence, uh, uh, that kind of violence." So I tweeted at him, "Look, if a guy kicks me in the growing, uh, maybe says a racial slur to me and pulls at my face, I'm sorry. There's going to be some violence in the in, in the area." <laughs> that, yeah, just a little, just a little bit, just a little bit, and that's yeah. the and that's the thing. And like, it's one thing. It was disappointing to see media members like a Peter King, who you know, 
Peter said something that hasn't happened in decades should be litigated like something that hasn't happened in decades, which is bullshit because it happened within the last decade twice. And by the way, people like me and Joe Green, who we all revere, had their fucking moments. And I, right. I know that Mean Joe Green actually against the Browns in 1970 struck somebody with his helmet. Now, Mean Joe Green is a Hall of Famer and a great ambassador for our game. People, we are not as bad as our worst moments. And so I understand if media members do it, but when I hear somebody like Slareth or who I like, I like Mark Slareth. We agree on a lot of stuff, but when he says he's never seen anything like this, I'm like, well, you must have been lucky because I've seen right. people swing helmets at people. And, and, and then there's the fallout. There's the slur which I knew about this on Friday after I taped my pod. Now, I also didn't say anything because part of the thing was I think Miles got bad advice and Miles was told to keep that to himself and just share it with the league. Because Miles is the type of kid, this is crazy, but he's the type of kid that literally would not hurt a fly <laughs> until he swings a helmet at somebody, which is way out of right. And is not vindictive enough to turn this into a big race war. Like that's what, that's what I think he's doing. I, I don't want to put words in his mouth. But the dumbasses out there that are like, well, he's a liar because he didn't say anything till Thursday. He didn't say anything till Thursday. He didn't say anything. It got leaked. But he lives by a different code, right? He lives by a different code. And, and if someone, he's not, even though Rudolph did that to him, he's not going to throw allegedly, Rudolph allegedly, under the bus. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Right, he's yeah. not, allegedly. But even though he says Rudolph did that to him, he's not going to throw him under the bus. Yeah. He's going to do it. He's going to do it in a setting where, look, I don't want anybody else to know this, but this is why I was pissed off. Yeah. And if you can't understand that, then then you don't understand this kid. I don't know him, but where he's from and how he was raised and what he was taught. Yeah. He was probably taught, don't throw guys under the bus. And if so, if authority tells you not to say it, don't say it. And that's what he did. I think he's a turn the other cheek guy that had a very anti-turn the other cheek moment. And then in the, in the aftermath, he was trying to stick to his code. And he didn't realize or his team was naive enough to think that he wasn't going to get fucked over on this thing, which is disappointing mm -hmm. to me because now people that in this in this 24-hour news cycle where everybody has ADD, and I really have ADD, but people have ADD, and they don't read the entire tweet, they don't look at the context, they're thinking he, he pushed this out a week later, which is insane to me. So I think we both agree that it's wrong, we are condemning the action, he should be suspended, but some of this hyperbole is just ridiculous. And it's actually, it's extra disappointing when it's former players. But um, I want to shift to the main event, what you do. You, you're on NBC in Chicago. Obviously, you're a bear for life. You are a fixture in that city. Um, what do you see when you look at something like last week? What do you make of the naggy, Trubisky conversation, the pillow talking that, you know, people allege it was the hip? <laughs> it, it, it didn't look like a, 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 I'm shutting you down for the last five minutes of an irrelevant no. game. I, well, first of all, if my coach is that close to me, I'd have to back him up a little <laughs> bit. But <laughs> um, look, it's been they're they're 30th in the league on offense. Coach Nagy was brought here to fix the offense. He was brought here under the guise of the fact that he's an offensive guru, right? He was a genius. And then they hire Heffrick from Oregon. They got Dave Ragone on staff. They bring in Brad Childress. Chris, these guys have four quarterback coaches on staff and their quarterback is playing really bad football. And then the quarterback gets a hit pointer. He's battling through it, uh, uh, played his best part of his game in the third quarter. They say it's stiffening up, and then you take him out. You take him out with three minutes left. You leave him in the game. Yeah. Let him fight through it because here's a kid who's trying to earn his teammates' respect. Yep. And I, whether you agree with it or not, like you and I both know, when you play through injuries for your teammates, that's how you earn respect. You stay out there. You fight into the last whistle. And Coach Nagy, who's made a lot of bad decisions this year, that was a bad decision. Well, it's a bad decision from a public – I mean, even if he was 
pulling him just for the injury. That's not the optics you want the world to see. This kid who's been much maligned, and listen, he gets paid a lot of money, and nobody feels bad for high draft picks. I know that I was a high draft pick, and people talk shit, people try to tear you down, and this is very warranted in this case, but at the same time, you have to understand that this is a human being that's gone to battle all year, said all the right things, has continued to work, never given up, in the toughest city to suck in. Um, city's hard for yeah, quarterbacks, and, man. And, and he's just, all he's done is continue to put his head down and try to work, and and to pull him aside in front of millions and millions of people and not just wait or just have a, a coach go over and say, hey, we're shutting you down for the game. If that's allegedly what you're doing, just do right. that a different way. It was just so and, – and, and listen, to your point, they haven't used him correctly. All those quarterbacks, coaches on the staff, can't figure out – played his strengths a little bit. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what they've done in, in, in Baltimore, and I'm not comparing that Lamar and Trubisky. I mean, they're not the same players. Right. But you got a Greg Roman and you got a Matt Nagy. I mean, right. That, that's... Well, the, the thing about the thing about it is this, OK, the way they run their offense, I know you've watched a little bit and, you know, you understand from a defense perspective, but everything they do, the quarterback has to process information, right? Everything they do, they zone read, they RPO, the quarterback never gets a break in that offense. He has to make a decision on every play and he's not doing well at that right now. And Mitch has to get better at that stuff to succeed in the NFL. But but to your point. They've scored now five touchdowns in the first half, okay? Three were against the Washington Redskins. So they scored two touchdowns in the first half in 10 games. The only time they move the ball in the first half is with no huddle. They rarely go to it. Mitch is the best out of eye formation when he gets a little boot and they max protect and he lets the ball go down the field. Why not let him do that and get a little comfortable during the game? Why not get him comfortable? Why not play to his strengths for a little while? And I know what Coach Nagy's saying. He's saying, look, I can't back this up. This guy's got to get better at processing information, putting us in the right plays. But he's not doing well right now, and Coach Nagy won't back off. I mean, even all of that being said, your quarterback's making bad decisions. Third and one, you go to the option. Yeah. He has to make another decision. He has to make the play, Chris, right now on everything they do. He has to make the play. Exactly. And it doesn't jive with the fact that even if – and I'll ask you in a second what you think is going to happen next, but – if you if you're thinking and it's un, it's it's unfathomable that, that they're going to have a good trade partner if they're trying to move him, but maybe just maybe you look at your team and you say we're not going to the playoffs and and if by some miracle situation we did we're not winning the Super Bowl maybe what we need to do is play for our future and that's Mitchell Trubisky's future and the team's future as well and try some of the shit you're talking about because you got nothing to lose all you can do is drive his value up if you're looking to move him and if things go well maybe you're on to something and you can work on the decision making in the offseason but I don't think he'll be around well he he might be around next year but I think they have to make a move what do you think is going to happen I don't know what's going to happen. And you have to remember about Mitch Trubisky, right, that Dow Loggins and the coach on staff now, Ragone, that he was drafted. Dow Loggins wanted to run the Kyle Shanahan system. Right. So he was drafted to zone and boot. That's what he was drafted for. And if you boot, you read what? Levels. Yep. High, medium, low, or even just low to high. I mean, just two, just one side of the field. That's what they're doing in San Francisco. Now, they can do both with, with the quarterback they got there, but but – First of all, you got to remember, that's what he's drafted for. And then all of a sudden, you turn the film on, and guess what he's good at? Yeah. He's good at that. Yeah. He's, you know what I mean? So, and as far as next year, like, you know, finding a quarterback, I mean, you know how many teams are trying to do that? Everybody. You know how many teams are looking for that? Everybody's trying to find that guy. Yeah. So, Mitch Trubisky now, he's still the best quarterback the Bears got. And my argument, I would always say to people this when I played, Chris, was 
you always want to replace the guy. You better find me somebody better first. You got to have a fucking solution. You better have a fucking solution. And that's the problem no with co- that's the problem with coaches. Get rid of them. Okay? That's the problem with coaches. It's the problem with quarterbacks. And I think too often in general, we're like, well, we're just going to blow it up. And, and you're, you're going to incrementally get worse because you're starting from a worse and worse point. I do think if they can find a trade partner for like a Cam Newton, it's not the worst thing to kick the tires. I don't think his trade value is going to be that high. Um, and I don't think – I think with the offense that the Bears are capable of running, it's actually a better fit than most places Cam's looking. And look, their defense is ready to win, right? Ready. They got Tariq Cohen and Cordero Patterson to return kicks. So they're right there. And Pagano, I mean, they're only giving up 17.4 points a game. With so no I offense. I can't complain. With no offense. I can't complain. Yeah, I can't, I can't complain about what Pagano does. Yeah. Uh, I think when you watch the film, he's a step down from Fangio. Yeah. In my opinion, just watching what they're doing with Khalil Mack and trying to cause turnovers and trying to score as a defense. But when you look at it, you can't complain. But if Mitch Trubisky just get a little better and Nagy will run the ball and play action, They'll, they'll win more games with that defense if Akeem Hicks comes back healthy. Anyway. And that's the big key. I mean, since they've missed, missed Hicks, they've been very porous in the middle. I mean, they've been leaky. So uh, I'm hoping for the best for that kid. I think we, we often forget, and nobody wants to hear this shit when, when you're making 9-to-5 money um, and the fans on Twitter don't want to hear it. But this is a human being who is the center of attention in the toughest city to play football in the world, I would argue. And I played in a tough one in Philly for a second, but – this is a tough deal, and the kid has done everything off the field right. It doesn't deserve a medal, but uh, but I think I hope people remember that this fucking guy's pretty tore up too. And I wish him the best. I wish the Bears the best. Olin, thanks for joining us. I uh, really appreciate it. a lot of respect for you, and I hope you come back soon and, and join us. So that was Olin Krutz talking about Trubisky. Obviously, going to be interesting to see where he ends up. Do you have a hunch what happens there? No. <sighs> Dynamite. Dynamite drop in, make. Um, <laughs> another quarterback that could be on the move or maybe is at the end of the line is Phillip Rivers. Everybody saw the game on Monday night, the implosion. Um, that's just as on brand as the exciting plays for him. You know, one thing as a Giants fan, if we're doing a Phillip Rivers segment, which I really wanted to do, and this is not an obituary, I, I really like Phillip Rivers and I don't know that he's done. He gets picked by the Giants in 04. How many Super Bowls do you think he has? Oh, golly. Um, if I Do I have to be honest? Yeah. Probably the two that Eli has. As a Giants fan, you say that. So he's going to be 38 in December. Hasn't missed a game since he became a full-time starter in 06. He's got the eighth most wins since 1970. Sixth in passing, t- uh, passing yards and touchdowns. Five and six in the postseason. Uh, seven out of 11 of his postseason games have been on the road. To put things in context, he's, he's lost three times versus the Pats, um, and he's lost five times in the divisional round. That's been like the hump he can't get over. Uh, the Pats, two times. The Jets, Sanchez led, which is a bit of a head-scratcher, but they were a good football team. The Broncos um, with Peyton and the Steelers with Big Ben. So he's lost some good quarterbacks in the playoffs, and... The AFC has been loaded when it came to talent, and he's part of this crop that's going away now. Um, he's had three losing seasons. This will be four. Um, he's lost a number of skill guys that have come and gone. You know, Sproles, LT, obviously, uh, Matthews, Tolbert, Gates, Vincent Jackson. Um, he's generally a slow starter, and he finishes strong. I mean, he's 500 in September. He's 
a little bit sub 500 in October, 31 and 24 in November, and then 40 and 19 in December. Wow. So I, I, you know, like him not figuring out till late, that will always be a mystery to me. And a lot of his games mirror that, you know, like it's almost like he has to spot the team points. It's like he's comfortable pressing. Yeah. That's like, he's like, yeah, I said this on the show, he's like Ricky Bobby's dad at Applebee's. He's like, when shit's going good, I just, this isn't my thing. Like I need, I need things to go south a little bit. Um, that's where I feel most comfortable. Chaos is kind of his friend. And as he chucked those four picks Thursday down in Mexico City, it was very fitting because, you know, every Sunday for years here, I feel like you're watching him in, a, in an old Western, tumbleweeds, shoot out in the saloon. You know, he gets blasted by like a, some sort of revolver. And he's like, Ugh. but he's back up next Sunday. You know, that's the difference is, you know, he, he does this thing every Sunday. He's down in Mexico City on a Monday night in a game that is enormous for them. And it is one of the last he'll probably play in division. And he chucks four picks. And it was almost like this stuff writes itself. And I was thinking, he's like perfect for Twitter. Like, I don't know if Twitter was made for Philip or Philip was made for Twitter. But I think he's predictably unpredictable and he allows tweeters to have their takes ready to fire off. And he's an easy target. He is a mother freaker. He's a mother freaker. Doesn't cuss. He doesn't cuss. He called me a bitch once, though. Wow. And then I sacked him again. This was after the first sack. Yeah. B word. Yeah. I mean, he. Maybe I'm misremembering. It's a heavy accusation because I know he's not supposed to cuss. Wow. But I heard him say the word bitch one time. He can come on the show, and this isn't like the classic have Philip Rivers on the show thing. I love Philip Rivers. I love talking shit with Philip Rivers. He also called me a pretty boy once. This was after the second sack uh, of the game back in 2010 uh but he's human right he's an easy target he's human he reminds us of ourselves a little bit we all can't get it quite right look at his arm angle he doesn't look like a quarterback Nah. and so it's refreshing that this guy who's so imperfect can make a ton of mistakes on the biggest stage and be unbothered by him but not in a disrespectful way you know um, it's just a way that he's just, it's like water off a duck's back. Is that the saying? It might be. Um, you get up in press conferences. What's as remarkable to me as the four picks is that he's up there and he seems unfazed. I think that that's an incredible skill. And I know that some people are going to listen to this and be like, well, you're spinning this. You know, why does he get the treatment? Well, he's a hall of famer. He's got a fun face and a fun accent. Fun face, likes to squint. Wins the press conference. Accent. And I've kind of been, in a way, in love with Phillip Rivers as a football player, watching him play since that duel with Matt Shaw back in the day. Yeah. They put up about 70 points together uh, and about 800 yards of passing offense. We came out on the wrong end of that one. What year would that have been? Probably 03. 03. So I've just watched him as a fan and as an opponent, and now as a fan again, watching football on Sundays with hangovers, when you get your Sunday scaries, it's like clockwork. The sun starts going down, you get your Sunday scaries, I know you never have them. Crippling anxiety kicks in, the hangover's wearing off, it's turning into like 
a bad mood and Philip Rivers is running for his life. It's the it's the movie you see every Sunday on time. Now, when I reached out to some teammates to ask him about this kind of unwavering attitude, I was like, well, what's his whole deal about? Like, what makes him tick? I talked to two teammates. One was there for a couple years, one was there for over a decade. And, and his teammates immediately point to this Latin phrase that I can't even, I have it, nunc coepi? Is that a <laughs> nunc? How do you say that? I don't know where you're looking. Well, I had it written down. Uh, it means now we begin. And that was his like kind of calling card. And he's got it on hats and his post-game pressers. They say that sums him up. He's a, he's a, he's a very devout Catholic. Which I wouldn't have imagined. I think of Catholic folks. I think of like Irish Catholic folks up, up north. I think of like Southern Baptist folks and that sort of thing down south. And with his accent, I just never would have thought Catholic. Maybe that's pigeonholing. I don't know. It's from Decatur, Alabama. Don't know. I mean, is there a lot of Catholics in Decatur? Yeah. Hotbed. Hotbed of Catholics in Decatur. But evidently his faith plays a big role in it. I had two guys tell me that. They both mentioned the uh, the hat, and that was kind of a rallying cry for evidently within the team since 2010, 2011. This is a guy who went to the Vatican, Vatican, met with um, met with a cardinal, right? Because you can meet with cardinals if you're Philip Rivers, right? Or can you meet with a cardinal if you're? I don't know. <laughs> he met with a cardinal who taught him this phrase. And it's funny to hear his. Southern drawl, trying to imagine him speaking Latin. It's about as bad as me trying to speak Latin. They, they describe him as unwavering. They say they've never met a teammate that didn't love him. Competitive is obviously the word that comes up. They talk about you know, the same tantrum he throws on the field when he throws a pick is the same thing he does in a softball game. It's the same thing he does when you know, he loses a card game. He is that way, you know that cliche about guys that don't wanna lose, that's him. They said, they told me a story about he got everybody together. I think, I don't know if it was wives and families, but it was just the guys. And it was like kind of a family affair where you, you have this softball league. And he's so competitive, in the words of one of his teammates, he's one of the worst athletes, but he puts himself at shortstop. Huh. And everybody was like, come on, dude, what the fuck? Just play first base. He's like, no, I'm a shortstop. I'm Derek Cheater. And that sums him up. He's going he's gonna to be competitive to a fault. Um, so as you look at him forcing balls, um, you know, two other teams routinely, seven picks in the last two weeks. You're looking at this situation, he's 38 coming up. What's it gonna be? Is this the end of the era? Um, what's next? What's his legacy? Um, to me, he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, he's a guy I enjoyed playing against, a guy that brought joy to the game of football. And again, this is not an obituary. It could be the end. I just wanted to get this in just in case it was, because it's been on my mind. He's a guy that I admire for his ability to not give a fuck. I mean, it is truly remarkable, and I'm not being funny. As somebody who has a pass rusher, the minute I got in a slump, I would go down to the dumps, or I'd press, or I would do all sorts of things that weren't. He throws four picks, <laughs> he's going right back out there, no conscious, conscience. Yeah. And um, so when you look at what could be next, I mean, there's people who say he's gonna move on. I think a, a if he does move on or the, the Chargers move on from him. I think Bruce Arians could be a nice marriage. I mean, he had Carson Palmer humming it, you know, north of 35. Um, it could be a new beginning for him, a new beginning for the Chargers. 
Anthony Lynn has had Tyrod, likes Tyrod. And Tyrod likes Tyrod these days. He likes Tyrod these days. He's Tyrod Taylor now. It's good. Even for a Hokie, I'll get the name right. Yeah. Um, but I don't think he goes anywhere because I think in LA, and we'll talk about this with the Rams in a bit, it's going to be hard to sell tickets, even for the Rams, but certainly for the Chargers. I mean, that game is like a home game for every team that goes there. When we beat the Chargers in 17, they went on silent count, and they've done that numerous times. Uh, so you don't dump your most entertaining name brand player if you're trying to sell tickets and you're in limbo. Um, again, I think he rides off in the sunset as a gunslinger. Even if he didn't win at all, there's nothing to hang his head about, but he wouldn't hang his head, and that's the point. Yeah. Because that's been his attitude for all these years. Does he deserve a Super Bowl? I don't know. Because I, I don't, I, I'd love to see him win one, but that's not the way these things go. I've seen plenty of guys that deserve to win Super Bowls, not get them, position players who aren't Hall of Famers. So I'm never gonna feel bad for Phillip Rivers because he's not gonna feel bad for himself. So I'm gonna miss the Sunday shootouts, I'm gonna miss the tumbleweeds, I'm gonna miss him uh, either accelerating my Sunday scaries or making me feel better about myself because I didn't just throw four picks, I just have a hangover. I'm gonna miss the guy. I agree with you. He's a likable guy. I have no opinion on the San Diego or LA Chargers. You sound like shit. And he's a likable guy. Come on, bro. <laughs> no, I mean, just you're a little stuffed up. <clears throat> Let me talk to you about that 04 draft. Eli, Phil, Big Ben. Yeah. Some other quarterbacks in there. Yeah. Where'd they go to school? Jim Sorgi. Jim Sorgi? Yeah. Wisconsin. Oh, I was going to say a red team. Yeah. Bradley Van Pelt. Fucking no idea. Colorado State. JP Lossman. <laughs> All right, as you say him, I'm remembering him. Keep going. J.P. Lossman. Don't know. Tulane. Okay. Matt Schaub. Virginia. One for four. Okay. You know what? The one I would have got was the Van Pelt one, if I'd have thought for a minute. Yeah. I remember him slinging it out there in the mountains at high altitude on the reg. Make fun of my voice again, and I'll quiz you Keep putting me on the... Well, yeah. Hey, listen, I don't know it all. I just have a face for podcasts. Uh, Raiders, another team out west. Six and four, three-game win streak, since he win. Every time you look up, it's like a different rookie is balling out, right? Uh, Max Crosby took a turn on Sunday. Really liked the kid. Of course, supportive of WDs. Four sacks. That brings him to 6.5 on the season. That's tough to do, and he's doing it in a room with no vets. Yeah. Which is cool. Which can be a good and a bad thing, not having vets, because when you're in a dysfunctional situation, some of the vets can be toxic because they're so fucking tired of it. Not having vets might actually be a blessing as I think about it. The biggest comp for him is Jared Allen for me. And I've heard multiple people say it. I'm not saying he is Jared Allen, but he's lengthy, he's bendy. I had a few. Yeah. Four max. Yeah. Wayne Krabat, Jason Seahorn, Peyton Hillis. Jesus. Hunter Renfro, <laughs> Chris these, Mullen. Are these cops? <laughs> Mark Price and Jeff Hornacek. He's just like them all. Those were my, yeah. That's those exactly. were a few names I came up with for Max Crosby. I love it. I love pigeonholing white athletes because it happened to me for 11 years. Um, but Gruden, it started with, I mean, he was unpopular because nobody wanted to see him. He was this dinosaur. He was living off his name. You know, they hired him. There's the Mac trade. People want to burn down his house over that. Actually, looks out. he looks to be pretty smart. And they've maximized Mac's talent in Chicago. So I'm not insinuating that Mac's not a game wrecker and a great player. But as you can see, one, even at him playing at 11 out of 10, it didn't win him a playoff game. And even this year, with all the dysfunction, he has one sack in his last six games. It's really hard to rush in situations like that, especially when you're getting a lot of attention. So 
I think that now there's we're looking at it, the smoke's clearing, and we feel a little bit more favorable about Gruden. Um, can he develop Derek Carr? That was another one people pinned him to the wall on. Derek Carr's playing great. Gruden's draft record, okay, it's not great. You know, in Tampa, it wasn't always great. Um, what's going to happen there? Oh, yeah, Mayock. In comes Mayock. And, of course, there was a lot of ire directed at Mayock as well. We've got Stephen A. hot take here that we're going to roll the audio on. No, you got friends in high places. That's why your behind got the job that you got. No experience as an executive on any level in the National Football League where people, black, white, Hispanic, and every place else, starving for an opportunity, and you got it. Because one of your boys is the $100 million man for a franchise that's allergic to prosperity for the last 20 years. I mean, please don't get me started. Let, 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 let's, let's finish this show before I say something and get myself in trouble. These people got a lot of damn nerve. Um, yeah, I wish Stephen A. had that same energy for the NFL, as the kids say. Yeah. Um, but it's turned out that Mayock's actually pretty good at this. And uh, who would have thought, uh, you know, he, he was a player, Steelers, Argonauts, Giants, and then he was obviously an NFL Network guy for a long time. 25 years in TV, NFL Network for 14 of them. I mean, people famously have pointed out he liked Gabbard over Cam Newton. He liked five wide receivers over Mike Thomas. Evidently, a lot of people did. Uh, he liked, uh, what was it? He, he liked somebody, Manziel over Bridgewater. But he also liked Kamara. So anytime somebody's been doing the draft for like 14 years, you're going to screw stuff up. You know who else screwed that stuff up? People that get paid to pick people. And he's had one shot as a person drafting, and he has nailed it. Rookies for the Raiders this year, first in scrimmage yards, first in uh, touchdowns, first in rushing yards. That's Jacobs who came over in the the Mac Hall. Um, Catches, uh, receiving yards, sacks with 10. Max Crosby's had a big deal to do with that. It's taking the pressure off of Farrell. Farrell. There you go. It's taking the pressure off a of furl. So not only has he, has he drafted well, but the kids are making an immediate, immediate impact. And there's a difference. I mean, you can draft well and things can be projects, but these kids are stepping up right away and making plays. So, yeah, the Raiders aren't that good, but they got a shot at the AFC West. Six and four, six games left, only one team above 500. There you go. Lewis Riddick called it. He said the Raiders were going to be really good. Maybe he'll be on TV soon uh, as a GM, not as a television personality, and Stephen A. can scream about that. I like that, Lewis Riddick. Um, Le'Veon Bell made news this week complaining about HGH. We got the tweet right here uh, complaining about testing. He's been stabbed with needles five times this year. Um, he says he is done with it. I done had five random HGH blood tests in 10 weeks. NFL, I'm not doing another after today. Whatever y'all looking for, it ain't there. And I'm not about to keep allowing y'all to stick me with those dirty ass needles. Find the players who really do that HGH BS and get off me. The Jets now have made news mostly in bad ways. They had the Osemele thing, which I saw both sides of. I know that's a hot take. Um, it was fishy, the Jamal Adams thing, which I saw both sides of. Yeah, I know Joe Douglas and I'm biased, but the word uh, floating around there was that he might have wanted out anyway. So I don't know what to make of that stuff. Now you've got Le'Veon Bell. And I think Le'Veon has a gripe. The NFL is trying to figure this HGH testing thing out. And it always pissed me off as a player because I never did anything. I've had this dad bod as long as I can remember. And as an aging dad bod in the NFL, yeah, I mean, I thought it would be nice to just I don't know how do you take HGH's needles. You're asking the wrong guy, bro. 
take a HGH pill, however these kids are doing it. Uh, it's annoying that some people are, are using in the league. It's also annoying that they haven't figured out the testing yet. Five blood tests in 10 weeks is a lot. I never had that. Um, but I think it's one of two things. As you talk to people who understand, and I called somebody I trust, that's HGH or medically inclined or whatever. I don't know what the term would be. Number one, he has an abnormal but acceptable variance range when they're trying to get his basal range, which is basically how much HGH your body creates on a regular day based on a number of factors, and we'll get to those. And the option number two is that he's part of a case study positionally, which is, you know, they're gonna pick a running back, pick a wide receiver, pick, you know, a quarterback, and, and do a case study that way. And HGH has a short half-life, so you have to test a lot to catch it, which is why it's tough, and that's why guys can get away with it. You need multiple tests to establish a basal range. I didn't know what basal range was. I was reading about this, and I thought it was like basal. I was like, is basal cells? Like, what, what, what is this? Because I've heard of that. I was just basal, like base. I'm a fucking moron. Sleep, exercise, nutrition, stress impacts it. So it fluctuates. And either he has that really wild range that people are trying to pin down, or he's part of a case study. Seems screwed up, but the NFL is trying to get this testing thing right. Um, you ask, why not WADA? Why don't we hear any Olympic athletes pissing and moaning about this is because one, they have less platform, there's more athletes, you're more expendable, and they're probably actually more stringent. They've been doing this for a while. The NFL early stages on this HGH thing, I hope they get it figured out because that's one way guys slip through the cracks and somebody who kept it clean my entire career, I do kind of hold a grudge against guys that I perceive might be on the juice or HGH. What was your drug testing experience in the league? Well, I always tried to be, I was annoyed for sure, especially when, uh, now there's a couple types of drug tests here. There's substance abuse, there's, um, there's PEDs, which are both piss tests, and then there's HGH, and the HGH is obviously administered randomly. So are uh, PED tests, which are urine, throughout the year. So like when you heard about Eric Reed, I don't think Eric Reed had much of a gripe actually. I know I could get killed over saying that, but I got tested five, six times last year after games, and it was always annoying. Like, I get it. Like, I get that gripe of it. It's annoying as shit, and you feel like you might be targeted, but my thing with, with E. Reed's claim is that if they really wanted to nail you on this thing, they just make it up. If somebody's willing to go out of bounds and test you that many times, wouldn't they just fake a, a positive? You know, that's, that's my thing there. I mean, it was certainly annoying. They certainly did it more to guys I felt like that were coming off injuries. But as you talk to guys around, around the league, that's pretty normal. The thing that most people get wrong is with the marijuana testing, obviously, because I'm a big drug guy, they, they test you once a year. You know the range it's in. PEDs, they come to your house. They can randomly test you on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday in January. You know, whenever, February, March. I used to, to spite the testers, tell them to meet me at places like McDonald's, and we go in the McDonald's bathroom. Do they have to watch? They have to watch. So another thing I do was, like, you know, generally, and they're looking at the unit. Right. They're sizing the unit up, because they have to. Wizinators and such. Part of the job. Part of the job. You can't really get around it. So what I'd start to do is I'd just walk in ass naked. 
sit my bare ass the on the no no in the facility okay i would never walk naked into a mcdonald's okay. we wouldn't be sitting here but in the facility when your name continually comes up on the list and they meet you back in the bathroom it's kind of faux pas to walk back there totally naked no towel but i'm that's what i'm doing and of course they're they're all male testers but i feel like we get right down to the the crux here there's no need for me to fiddle around like here i am bare ass on the plastic chair i'm filling out paperwork butt naked the whole nine another thing was when they tested me for hgh one time and this is where the nfl could be better the woman forgot gloves latex gloves she put fucking ziploc bags on her hands (laughs) and taped them to her wrists i'm like this can't be right I started recording it on my phone. I don't have the video anymore, but had I gotten popped off some crazy shit, plastic bag hands lady was not, that wasn't flying. Right, good thinking. So, uh, you know, Wentz has been a a topic this week, a hard transition from me ass naked into McDonald's, which is not true, to Carson Wentz. Uh, He's been shouldering the blame. We saw the figures that came out this week. 13th worst in bad throw percentage, 18th worst in bad throws period, 32nd in on target percentage, fourth worst in expected completion rate, eighth in drop percentage though as well. We saw games where, and I made the statement this week that yeah, he's played bad in games like the Patriots game or the Cowboys game. He's also had a lot of drops and a receiving core, especially without Alshon and Deshaun who have been tough. Tough to throw to. Hard getting separation. J. Matt, J- Jordan Matthews, who I love, was their number one receiver a week after being off the street. Yep. Um, so these are factors. Just like when I tell you he plays bad, that's context that matters. It's context that matters why it's happening. I mean, I'm not caping for Carson. I'm just telling you. It's no secret I think he's a franchise quarterback, but these things are real. Detroit, Atlanta, big drops at the end of the game that could have been game-winning touchdown throws. I reached out to a player who I respect, who plays defensive back. Might have played him this year. He said that uh, I like him. The offense is basic. Two years ago, RPOs, that was a big thing. People have figured that out. Right now with the injuries, I can imagine that people are only worried about Ertz as you look at him. No more Frank Reich. No more Frank Reich. That makes a difference. It's time to, to, to stop avoiding that narrative. I mean, I've... I've Doug Peterson is a great head coach. You can't tell me Frank and Flip didn't help. And the offenses looked a little bit different. And I think Doug is an awesome head coach. I think he, he does a good job with, with some facets of the offense, but you can't deny that Frank's missed. Um, I also said to my buddy, I said, okay, here's how I say it on Wentz. He's a top five player, or he's, a top, he's got top five ability. He's a top 15 quarterback, even the way he's playing right now. I know those stats and the metrics don't say it as much, but this is a guy who could be leading his team with a ton of injuries and drops to a 7-3 and three record, I think it is. I mean, if, if Atlanta and, and, and Detroit, those balls are caught, they win those games. He said, I agree. In 17, the film was absolutely scary. And I also reached out to a coach I respect in the NFL. He said, quote, and I'm going to read this, big arm talent but having to play small ball right now, he's absolutely top 15, maybe top 10, but not top five. And I agree with all that. Nothing wrong with competition, well, being competitive and nothing wrong with his talent. I agree with that. 
The one thing people are questioning in the league right now is decision-making and the lack of a signature moment. I would agree on the decision-making for sure. I mean, if there's one thing he's not doing well enough, he's not he's holding on to the ball too much. He's pressing at times. And I think when it comes to a signature moment, he's missed out on a few of those, right? Um, with drops and such. But he does need to have that one moment, and I think it'll come. You know, it's funny. This week I'm caping for, for, for Carson. Last week, you know, or, or back in the day when I built a shrine for Nick Foles, because you don't build shrines for fucking franchise quarterbacks. When you're keeping it light, you keep it light for the guy that's coming in and nobody thinks can do it again. You make a joke of it. I was, before I hated Wentz because I did that, right? Now I'm caping for Wentz. So that's how it works when you're objective on this thing. Uh, and, and so, you know, to explain the whole shrine thing and Skip Bayless... Fucking Max Kellerman. You're still explaining this? Well, yeah, I want to say it. This is the first time I've explained it on the pod. Skip, Max, well, Stephen A., anybody that wants to reference the Eagles Shrine as being related to the schism that people reported on in a sensational anti-Carson hit piece last week, it, or last year, is ridiculous. I can tell you, you're hearing it from me, and I got no reason to lie. I built the shrine to keep it light. Guys thought it was funny. And this is where it came from. If you haven't watched Major League, you're missing out. Check out my man Joe Boo here in Pedro Serrano. Joe Boo, ayúdame en este momento. Para que me des el poder. Para conquistar el cuerpo. Te daré mi devoción. Para siempre poderoso. Pasa there, Pedro. Bats. The RC. I cannot hit curveball. Straight ball, I hit it very much. Curveball. Bats are afraid. Wouldn't leave a rum sitting around out here with this group. <laughs> it's very bad to steal Jobu's rum. He's very bad. It's also very bad to steal the prayer candles that I had an equipment guy run and get in an impromptu fashion on a Thursday when we were getting chewed out because we were like three and five and everybody's down in the dumps and we wanted to have fun with something. So we went and got a Nick Foles shrine. I put his fucking autobiography up. I put the little prayer candles. We lit it. We had fun with it. I lit some incense that I got at the gas station. So any of you that are spinning it like the shrine has anything to do with anything anybody thinks in that locker room, you're welcome to come on my show. Stephen A., Skip Bayless, Skype the fuck in. How'd that season end? Well, we damn near ended up back in the dance. Um, And Nick played well, but the thing people forget is like, Nick had bad games too. And, you know, I think Nick was an ABC guy. If there's any knock on Carson, it's that he extends things a little too long. And we talk about the pressure rates and all that stuff. But Carson's undoubtedly more talented than Nick and has a higher ceiling. Nick was good in that Frank Reich offense and, uh, and would run things really sequentially. A couple things to get to before Macon has to go sell real estate because he has a real job. 
uh, Brady and social media. Well, first I want to hit the Nelson Aguilar burner. There's a report, and I am somebody with a burner account. I've admitted this. I've heard. Uh, Nelson Aguilar is accused to have a burner account. Speculation possibly going around that Nelson Aguilar possibly has a burner account. EFAM33. Nelson Aguilar ranked 124 out of 124 wide receivers who have played at least 25% of snaps. That's Eagles Nation tweeting that. EFAM says, PFF don't know anything. None of these dudes ever stepped on an NFL field. Nelson's really smart. I don't, this is the one thing, I know that the middle name thing is going on, but I don't think he, he misspells ever. Um, maybe it's because Wentz doesn't throw a better balls than Foles, making it harder for us to catch. That's kind of inside baseball. And usage of us is a bit incriminating. <laughs> Keep it going. What We got more. Uh, <laughs> bunch of Carson Wentz stats. Foles threw a better ball with the hands up in the air emoji. And there was more. There was Philly fans in the league won't appreciate till we gone. Uh, Philly fans don't appreciate him. That's Nelson Aguilar till he's gone and he's gone soon. Uh. So whatever you think about that, I just find it hard to believe that a, he would be so obvious about it if he had a burner account and listen, I'm not, there's nothing against burner accounts. I mean, it's, you like to get online and by the way, my burner account doesn't tweet. I just read and I rid myself of the toxic timeline that, uh, I'm subjected to by the people I follow. Am I followed by your burner? I should follow you, but I don't. That's an easy way to yeah, catch I me up. I don't follow you. Yeah. Um, but another thing is, if somebody's framing Nelson, that's an elaborate. Whoa! It's okay. You already said it. I'm a bit behind sinus infection. The middle name. I'm just seeing it. Yeah. I. E-fan. If you're Nelson, that's so. And using we and us and all that stuff, it's it's like it's too sloppy. Yeah. But if you're framing him. How do you go about framing somebody to have a burner account? It's not like you can shout in people's mentions, hey, this is a burner account. You have to do it quietly and lead enough. If you're going to frame somebody, you have to leave enough clues. Maybe this is a really elaborate, well-executed frame job. Twitter is so stupid. It is stupid. Brady, though, on social media made news this week. You have something on Nelson Nelson. Aguilar. Why can't anybody say Aguilar? I hear a lot. You just said Aguilar. Yeah. I hear a lot of Aguilar. I call him Nelly. Aguilar. By the way, I will say this. Nelly's taking a lot of shit lately. He's a good kid. Works hard. I remember when I got there, he was real, he was real determined to have a great year in 17 off a disappointing start to his career. And Philly's a tough place to take some hits. Um, and he's taking his fair share. I am rooting for him. Uh, I'm rooting for it not to be his burner account as well. Agreed. Tom Brady uh, on social media, you know, background, Tom Brady was the GOAT, obviously, walking into a building when I signed as a free agent in 16. He was more than just a new teammate. In fact, this is how cool and down to earth he is. I went up and I tell this story all the time. Um, And I'm like, do I introduce myself to him? I don't want to be that self-important. Who gives a fuck who I am? He walked right up to me and said, hey, Chris, I'm Tom. Nice to meet you. Welcome. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I know exactly who you are. Like, introductions don't really... He no more needs to introduce himself than, I don't know, who's the most famous person in the world, LeBron James or Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, Hi, I'm Barack. Hi, I'm Barack. I wasn't going to use the other one. That was in my head, and I was like, I'm not even going to talk about that guy. But Good idea. Uh, 
that's how down to earth he is. But I was still proud that after I retired and once he got on this IG kick and the Twitter kick, he was liking my posts and my pics. I post like a picture of a fucking bonfire. He's like, Tom Brady liked this. Tom Brady and Macon Gunner like this. Yeah. Um, so I was like, man, that's pretty cool. I mean, he's my boy and everything, but I don't, you know, we're not tight. He's still the goat. The goat's liking my pictures. That's cool. But I wondered if it was his team because he has a very branded team liking these pictures or if it was him authentically. He made news this week liking AB's apology to Kraft. Obviously, September 20, AB had to move on from the Pats. And the offense has been discarded as a priority, I think, if I'm reading between the lines in Tom's eyes since that Super Bowl where the defense got so carved up. So I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, it's him sending a message, liking the picture. He's going to deny it, but sure, I think he would probably want him back. Um, Now, he says there's nothing to be made of it, the big thing I'm taking from this is that he's the one actually liking all my pictures. That's the important part because there's no way his team would go rogue and like something of that magnitude. And if they did, they should all be fired. Right. So Tom liked the post. What you make of it, it's for you, you or the next person to decide. The moral of the story is he likes my pictures. That's cool. Um, Validation. But the reports are Pats are kicking the tires on AB. Could they be? I mean, it would be the ultimate long game. Like, think about it. You cut him because he's being a real pain in the ass or you know there's some turbulent waters ahead. Or maybe you have to send a message knowing that once he clears waivers, nobody's going to pick him up because the Pats can't do it. No one can. So is this like, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but has this been the plan all along to get him back for the second season, the real season? Or is it like all this lack of trade deadline activity? Was that a byproduct of... They just think Harry's going to be that good. So I, I don't know what it is. Time will tell. But his team did not go rogue. He liked the picture. Says nothing to do. No, no, no big deal about it. Um, the moral of the story is he, he actually likes my stupid Instagram posts. Uh, we're going to get into the Pats preview, but Macon has to go sell real estate. Well, I got to tell you a bit about Dallas. Yeah. Are you ready to preview this ball Let's game? Let's preview this I ball wanna, game. I want to lay this on you. Dallas, number one, offense in terms of yards. Mm -hmm. Number seven, defense in terms of yards. Number four, points scored. Number seven, points allowed. Where the Cowboys are number 18 in the league is turnover differential Mm -hmm. at minus one. Mm -hmm. Worse than the Titans, the Bears, the Cardinals, the Lions, among others. Only four picks all year. We spoke last night. Why isn't Dallas better? That's, I mean, that's a great point. I mean, because as you look at it, the defense at first this year when they were giving up some points and they gave up a bunch of points to Detroit, you don't, I mean, a shootout with Driscoll, an MVP, an MVP candidate quarterback versus Driscoll, the fact that it's, it's that close and that high scoring, is it bodes well bad for the defense. Um, but the defense, to your point, is not as bad as people think it's been. Uh, and the roster, when I picked the Cowboys this year, I thought they were a team that had as good a chance as any in the NFC to go play in a Super Bowl. I still think that even though it's counter to the reality that they have just plain struggled outside the division, they're at about 500 or sub 500 um, in the past few years where they've been dominant in the NFC East. So uh, I look at this roster and it's one of the biggest questions this year. And an, an enigma is that they have an MVP quarterback, MVP caliber quarterback, he is playing like a top five player right now. They have Zeke. They have an offensive line that's the best in the league. They have Jarwin. They have the vet in Witten. 
They have two number ones in Gallup, who's emerged as a serious threat, and Cooper, who obviously transformed their offense. Defensively, they've got two really good edge, edge rushers now. Not, I mean, I've been wrong about a lot, but I was right about Robert Quinn. Perfect bookend to Demarcus Lawrence, who's as fun as anybody to watch in the league, and is leading the team in sacks. He's had this resurgence. They went and got Mike Bennett, who's going to give them some inside rush help in sub packages. They have some of the best linebackers in the league. And the de- defensive backfield's not great, but that should be better than just over 500. When you ask people around the league, the question is, and that's the biggest question going into Sunday, Jason Garrett. Yeah. Um, I have to cough. Cough. And I'm going to leave the podcast, but I think you're doing a great job. <laughs> it's in capable hands. Listeners, viewers, y'all take care. Have a great weekend. That was making Wash playing sick. He's going to keep playing sick, uh, slinging MLS. And, and to his point, the turnover's been a problem. Some late game decision making, some calls. I mean, you know, the Minnesota game, they get down there in the red zone. They've been slinging the ball around the yard like Dax, Joe Montana. All of a sudden, they go back to this very vanilla offense. And people are asking who's making the decisions. Well, the word is Jason doesn't make a lot of decisions. He's kind of more of a figurehead, like a college coach. He's kind of a guy who will defer to his coordinators. And, you know, I don't, what I gather is that the players aren't really afraid of Garrett. They're more afraid of the owners and their coaches. Um, so, questions about his juice, his decision making, and certainly questions about, the Cowboys playing out of their division. In Foxborough, man, when I look at this game, seven points, that's a lot. I might be picking them as one of my locks this week uh, to cover. I think there's word that there could be some inclement weather up there, which I think actually plays into the Cowboys' hands. I know Pat's Twitter is very proud that the weather's not great in Foxborough, and they'll probably skewer me for this, but... I like the matchups at running back against running back offensive line against the Pats defensive front. They've been leaky in the run game. Uh, I like Cooper and and Gallup as a matchup. I'm not saying they're gonna have great days. I mean, against far and away the best defensive backfield in the league right now. And I also like the linebacking core for Dallas against those running backs who they got, get out in routes like the receivers uh, in Burkhead, James White, and gang. And I like the edge rushers matching up with that embattled offensive line. I like Michael Bennett against their guards in sub-package situations, but that doesn't mean they're going to win the game because Garrett's the question mark and you got the hoodie up there and the Pats know how to win at home. And it just makes too much sense to me. The Pats' best win is against an Eagles team right now that's really struggling. You can say the same thing about Dallas. Dallas's win was a little bit more pre- impressive, albeit at home. I like Dallas. I'm trying to talk myself into thinking that money line's even a good bet, but everybody's warning me that that's the dumbest thing in the world. I do like them to cover. I don't know if they'll be my lock. It's going to be an interesting game. A team that I still think needs that signature win and could make a run in the playoffs if they win that division. So I mentioned um, Garrett being my big hang-up. 
in talking about the Cowboys' chances of going up to Foxborough and getting a win as Macon departs the set and leaves me all alone to break down Rams-Ravens. That is a game where coaching has shaped the identity of these, these teams and has loomed large all year long. I'll get to that in a minute. Two teams in inverse situations is the most important part. Baltimore is a traditionally thought of defensive football team dating all the way back to uh, the Super Bowl with the 2000 Ravens, how they carried that team. And they are transitioning to an offensive, explosive, uh, kind of take the league by storm operation. The Rams are, you know, they were kind of greatest show on turf part two in LA. Now they are transitioning to a defensive football team in, of course, a much shorter time period, which is remarkable. Don't think they're doing that on purpose, though. Uh, Baltimore is trending up in a division that's trending down. The Rams are trending down in a division that's trending up. I mentioned that next year, you probably start the year slated to be fourth in that division. Um, They're playing Monday, and they have basically swapped corners Uh, with Peters heading to Baltimore in a value mid-round kind of veteran trade that I love, and he has brought the Ravens from 23rd in defensive efficiency to first since he's been there. You know, the Rams got their corner in a splash move, a very L.A. move, giving up damn near their future for Jalen Ramsey, who, you know, there's been whispers that he's not as as good as he was. I don't know if that's continued in in L.A. as much. I haven't watched him as much closely. And quite frankly, I look at numbers that say, you know, with pro football focus that his grades are low. I don't know what that means. Pro football focus grades are fucked up. Um, We all like to use them when they suit us, when they don't. And I got no no dog in the fight here. I'm I'm not saying that Ramsey's played bad or good. I'm just saying those figures have said that he hasn't been the same guy. So a lot of similarities in these teams in an inverse fashion, but the coordinators, that's where I really look at it and say the most important thing, and of course, McDaniels, um, no, sorry, not McDaniels, McVeigh, another Irish, short, younger offensive play caller, has gotten a lot of pub, and rightfully so. I mean, he, he turned an operation that was very dysfunctional offensively you know, taking Jared Goff out of Jeff Fisher's hands, you know, adding his influence and propelling them to being this juggernaut that a year ago today or this weekend, they lost or uh, they actually won that game 54-51. They won the Chiefs game, right? They scored combined 105 points in that game. So a year later, the defense has had to surrender you know, or give up only 11 points a game, you know, lately since they got Ramsey. That's the, the, the identity of their team. And McVay's been the hot name. Um, you know, Roman, who's Greg Roman, of course, of Colin Kaepernick fame in San Francisco, has been more under the radar. Um, but McVay has kind of failed to innovate. That's the word right now is that we are seeing the first, for the first time, the golden boy has to innovate and do some things to pull themselves out of this hole that's personnel-related, it's Jared Goff-related, um, some things are out of his control, Todd Gurley's health, whatever, I don't know. Um, 
But the word is that when in comparison to Shanahan, who's a great innovator, there's whispers out there that McVay is not an innovator, but more of a table setter. And a lot of coordinators are both. I mean, certainly not too many. Um, but a lot of them are one or the other. And we forget that because you're a good table setter doesn't mean you're a great play caller in the moment or an adjuster. And, and, and that's the worry with McVay. Now, McVay's history is, of course, he's 33 years old. He's younger than me. Dayton, Ohio, native, played at Miami of Ohio, played a wide receiver. 2008, he got his start under one Gruden and John as the assistant wide receivers coach. He stopped in the UFL, coaching wide receivers again. And then in Washington, he was tight ends to offensive coordinator under another Gruden and John very quickly. And made a lot of waves. And much like the Kingsbury hire, that um, certainly seems to be linked in, in from a trend perspective to the McVay hire. Um, there was a lot of people that were like, hey man, this guy's been in the league a long, or hadn't been in the league a long time. He's getting a head coaching job. It's kind of fucked up. And then he shut everybody up. And now here we are again. So face value, he's the innovator. He's the bright new school mind. But on the other end, you got Greg Roman, who's 47 years old. He's from Atlantic City. There's really people from Atlantic City. He's an O-line coach. He looks like an O-line coach. He's anti-McVay in so many ways. In 2008, he was coaching high school ball at Holy Spirit in Ventnor, which is a place in New Jersey. Um, so looks can be deceiving because I would, I would say he's the innovator in this situation. That's no disrespect to McVay, but at the crossroads we're at for the two teams that I mentioned earlier, Roman's been the one that's propelled them to where they are now. And his track record says that he's very diverse in his understanding of football, and he's very innovative but he doesn't look like it on the surface. Yeah, you know, I remember when he was in San Francisco, he brought out this giant personnel. I remember it well because I used to have to play head up on tight ends at 270 pounds. And uh, when you're playing a six technique, as we call it, that's different than a wide nine. Like in Jim Schwartz's defense, I would play in a nine. In the Rams defense, I would play in a six, head up on tight ends, I would play in a nine. And then I would play in a four eye, which means I'd have to play inside the tackle, taking on the tackle in the run game. I was more of a, a run and pass player. And then when I get to get to Philly, I, I'm older, I'm lighter, I'm a nine technique guy. But when I used to have to play six, sometimes a guy named Leonard Davis would trot out there. And Leonard Davis is about the size of a small SUV. And I'd go nose to nose with him. And you'd shock him and get your hands inside for a second, but eventually you were going to move. And they put him at tight end in this giant package. And they put Kilgore, a guard, in at fullback. And where did he get that? He got it from high school. Where did he get the read option that took the lead by storm with Cap? He got it from college. He's not afraid to innovate and take things from lower levels of football and bring them up. And the run game has always been a staple, yeah, but he's very creative in the way he creates the run game. And he's very multiple, and he, and he, and he gives you different looks to get to different runs. And, you know... In 95, when he started with the Panthers and he came from Stanford, he started as a strength and conditioning coach and an offensive quality control guy, which is nothing. One of the brightest minds in football now, 20 years later, who has a shot at being one of the biggest catalysts, of course, along with Lamar, in hoisting a Lombardi trophy, not to get too, too far ahead of ourselves, was a high school coach in 08, and a strength coach in 95 when he got to start with the expansion Panthers. 
Then he was an offensive line coach. Then he was a tight ends coach. Then he was a quarterbacks coach. He does it all. And that's reflective of his head coach now in John Harbaugh, who's a special teams guy. Doesn't really lean to either side of the ball. So again, Stanford to San Francisco, what's the first thing he does there? He's responsible for the resurgence of Alex Smith, has him playing his best football. And although Alex Smith is very mobile, he wasn't quite able to do the things that Cap could do, who enjoyed his best years under Roman. Tyrod Taylor could do, who enjoyed his best years under Roman. And now Lamar Jackson. So each of these quarterbacks, he has helped for sure. And I never want to take all the credit off quarterbacks, um, you know, because we, we blame them when they lose. I'm not going to give all the love to Greg Roman. We give a lot of love to Lamar. Make no mistake about it. But Greg Roman is a great coach. He's a great innovator. And he is, again, this guy that looks like a mobster or an O-line coach. He looks old school. He's from Atlantic City. He could be a truck driver. By the way, I love Greg Roman. He once called me the best um, compliment I ever got in my career was a rolling ball of butcher knives. Very proud of that. And I'm glad his stock has continued to rise because he knows what he's talking about. Um, but he's a guy that doesn't look like what you're getting, which is somebody who's really innovative. And you think run first offense, you don't think of innovation. He's been as cutting edge as anybody. So Sunday, as these teams take the field, and it's going to be one of the biggest matchups, I'm going to be glued to it. Yonda Donald, Stanley versus the edge, Peters versus the old team. Uh, oh yeah, Weddle. Weddle in general against the Ravens and the fact that he's not going to give any tells on the Ravens. I'll get to that in a second. I want to see the matchups, but I also want to see who's innovating. I want to see if McVay can get off the mat. You know, again, it doesn't seem intentional, but they've turned into a defensive football team in a calendar year. Will the changes he made on the O-line on the right side that we saw against the Bears continue to bear fruit? You know, plugging in the young guys on that right side that's been really unstable, unstable. Um, more 12 personnel. They were up to 67% using 12 personnel, using more tight ends for people listening. Uh, 12 personnel means uh, one back, two tight ends. They've been using so much 11. People have had problems with the amount of, you know, they've used Todd Gurley in the run game. They've had issues with their personnel groupings. They ran that, and that was, I think, the most anybody used uh, 12 personnel that week at 67%. Coming, down from, coming up from 57%, that's a big jump. might not seem like a, a lot. And what happened? They had their best running game since week two. So will they continue to spiral or will they innovate and start to appease some of the people that are trying to buy tickets at that shiny new LA stadium that I keep pointing out is not going to fill with a defensive football team that's built for some sexy pass-first at attack on the other side of the ball. If you can stabilize, you might be able to see more of a Jared Goff that we saw in past years up front. But again, the Ramsey trade has put them behind the eight ball in acquiring talent. They're going to have to do a lot of their work in mid, mid to uh, late round picks. This game is going to be interesting. On the Weddle thing, when I first heard he wasn't going to give any secrets on Baltimore to the Rams, I thought he was joking. Evidently, he's not. Because a lot of times, you get asked that as a player that, that arrives somewhere new, you're playing your old team. You don't want to say that publicly. But I do hear internally that he's not joking, which is kind of weird. If I were playing with him, I'd be like, bro, just give me the tells. You weren't even a Raven for that long. You were there for like three years. I understand loyalty. I'm a loyal person. You know, Marcus Peters on the other side 
got traded, I wonder how many tells he's going to be given. I know Weddle mostly from San Diego, and I can certainly respect loyalty, but I don't know. I'd be giving all the tells. I'd be singing like a bird. I want to win a football game. I know Weddle wants to win. Great player. Not criticizing the player or the person. Just a decision I don't agree with. Um, interesting game. I like the Ravens. Uh, I'm going to talk about it with Stanford Steve here in a minute. I might like them as one of my three locks. I'm not sure. That, there's a lot of good games this weekend. Let's let's bring him on. Joining me now is, he's absolutely a friend of the program. He can't get enough. He comes back every weekend <laughs> to talk about his picks. And we are in the thick of it. Last week, there was some controversy. Stanford, Steve, you want to air your there's grievance There's no controversy. Out. I got fucked. <laughs> on the Arizona Cardinals line. Whoever's doing the lines. It was never 10 all week. And then all of a sudden, you text me, whoa. And I'm like traveling back. And I'm like, what's going on here? Because I just found the score of the game. And all of a sudden, it's 10. I'm like, all right, that was a winner. I had 10 and a half. And all of a sudden, I have 10. And that gives me another 1-1-1 one, one, and one week in the NFL where it should have been a 5-1 and one week total. Well, it sounds like you got so, the cushion. You might as well just do the... Uh the commendable thing here and take the high road and just realize you're just absolutely dumping on me in this competition. I haven't added it up. It's kind of ugly right now. I don't think it's as bad as you think. Well, it just feels bad. It feels bad. Um, But that was that one of the worst beats in in a while or on a push. You can call a push a beat. Like I'm, I'm new to this. No, you don't call a push a beat because you didn't lose. So that can't be. I I understand you were counting the money, mm -hmm. but you still didn't. You have to pay it back. So that, that didn't make the cut. Sense. That didn't make the cut on Midnight Sports Center. It it did not. If, okay. uh, no, it did not. Uh, it's happened a couple years ago. It happened in a Chiefs Monday night game. Yeah. I call it pitchy pitchy woo woo. Yeah. That's the play because uh-huh. that play sucks. Sucks. And gamblers. Here's the thing: if you're gonna run it, put all skill guys out there. Don't have any linemen. Agree. Like you you obviously practice it. So practice it with your best eleven athletes on the team. That's who should be on the field for it. Another thing, right? that dri- another thing that drives me crazy. I have a pet peeve as a player because when I was a player, I wasn't gambling on. Well, I was gambling on college, you know. But um, I, uh, I used to get bothered that people always got tackled. I mean, like, just fucking throw the ball in the air. Like, how hard is that? It drives me nuts. I've been waiting for one of these to hit for quite a while. The Dolphins hit one last year, I think, yep. or two years ago, um, and then. A couple years back, actually, it was Northwestern Ohio State. It was one of the worst beats ever. You probably remember it well. I was on the wrong it's side on, of it. It's on our bad beats montage. Which, yes. Yeah, which I, I was on the wrong side of it with James Laronitis. Was that a pitch play? Was that a pitch, pitch, woo? Yeah, that's a pitchy, pitchy, woo, woo. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. So let's. It's, it's, it's hard. You, you got to hold your butt, too, because you know it's coming. Yeah. They can't throw the ball the length of the field. And uh, it happened earlier this year in a Niners game, too. And they squashed it, or they got, they got, the guy went down or just recovered the ball on the one yard line. So it is, I mean, like I said, you know it's coming. It's an awful thing. Awful thing. Well, I got bad news for Vegas, and it was good news for me last weekend. I had a great week, by the way, and I got a gloat because I've been shitting on myself all year. Uh, One thing I did is I got the Niners in a teaser at like plus two or like minus two or something. And and me me discovering a teaser is like, oh, yeah, we landed on the moon, bro. They're the best. I get yelled at by big time gamblers all the time for teasers. But I just love them because you can involve yourself in three games. Yep. And and it feels like cheating. It feels like cheating. 
You're like rooting all the same. You're like how? And and by the way, next gen stats here. I am undefeated. Never lost a teaser in my entire gambling career. Uh, So let's get right to it. I know there'll be some teasers in the air this weekend. We also have some college football and pro football, as always. What are your college football picks for this weekend in order of confidence? Um, Okay, that's a great question. All right, I'm going to go Nebraska uh, first, laying the points. Um, They still have – you played – I still, I mean, we weren't, we didn't play for teams that were kind of competing for national championships. Neither did the I. goal was to, <laughs> was to go to a bowl game. Yeah. And Nebraska still has that opportunity. And I always, you know, you always knew that feeling when you had that seventh loss and you couldn't, you knew you weren't going to go to a bowl. Right. Nebraska hasn't had that yet. They're four and six. They're at Maryland. I've had a Maryland, I have a Maryland season win total, three and a half wins over ticket. I've been waiting two freaking months for them to win a game. And it's not going to happen. Jeez. So this is a little bit of a hate bet. Uh, but I think Nebraska, they had 500 yards of offense against Wisconsin last week. They haven't thrown in the towel on the season. Um, they were, The quarterback and the running back rushed for over 277. There's going to be nobody at this game from Maryland. It's going to be all Nebraska people. So I'll lay the points here with Nebraska. Yeah, I mean, generally nobody goes to the Maryland games. Sorry, Scott. Correct. Sorry, Scott, if you listen to the program, which he doesn't. He's not but, watching this. He's definitely not watching gonna, this shit. Somebody's going to tweet him that we were talking about Maryland, and then he's going to try and look it up. Well, That's this is happens. good. This is how we bring in new viewers. So, Scott, <laughs> Maryland sucks. The stadium's empty. You guys light trash cans on fire. That's the thing they do the best in College oh. Park. Um, that, and okay. I, I, I didn't mind Juan Dixon. Uh, so, who's next? And, by the way, that's minus four, right? Four, yes. Okay, I want to put that on record. Locking in, minus four. Cowboy Reed, you got that. Four. Oh, so actually, Macon's gone. Macon um, actually has to go sell. Pump it in for him? Well, no, I put him in the bathroom like in uh, Bronx Tale because he was, he's just, he's been giving me bad. But no, actually, no, he's, uh, he has to sell real estate. So he had to leave. Macon Mush. Macon Mush is not there today. Macon Mush. So what's pick, um, what's pick right. two listen, for you? Listen to this. New Mexico, okay? <sighs> you got, you got my attention already. <laughs> they started year two and one. They are now two and eight, all right? They've had 14 season-ending injuries, Not all right? Good. They're down to 57 scholarship players. They lost their two best running backs last week. So now they're pr- trying to prep. Now, they're an option team also, but they're trying to prep for Air Force and their option attack. They don't even have enough scout team running backs to prep for the Air Force option. That's not so good. So I don't like the Lobos this week, and I hate <laughs> giving double digits on the road, but I'm going to lay – I mean, you know what the effort you're going to get out of Air Force here. Uh-huh. I'm going to lay the 22 with Air Force uh, at New Mexico, just thinking that New Mexico really wants this season to end and get the hell out of there. I'm always down to support the troops. Yeah. I mean, and the, sure. the troops are going to – I think uh, I might take a money line. You know, All right. after you just gave me that rundown on New Mexico, I mean, you've totally just. You're going to have to back up the Brinks truck, though, for that money line. Yeah, probably. Um, Maybe throw in a mar- you know what you could do? What? Money line parlays I can introduce you to. I don't think, oh, that's, I don't know. I don't want to learn too much. Vegas would probably implode. Um, okay. If I do teasers and then money line parlays. <laughs> Actually, I have done a few of those. Now, let me ask you this, though. Can you do, yep. when do they stop doing money lines? Like 20 points or? Uh, it depends on your site. Like if you have a really official site, like you could get a money line in Vegas. Yeah. But like, you know, maybe your local book, he's like, Hey, you know what? No money lines. No money lines. Points, you bastards. 
Um, uh, and what's what's rounding out the slate for you Saturday? Uh, rounding out the slate is going to everyone thinks they have the best rivalry game, Chris. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm sure we want to talk a little bit about rivalries before we get to next week. Big rivalry, but um, but the prettiest rivalry has to be UCLA and USC. They both wear their home jerseys oh, in this game. It's awesome. Uh, you know, McShay's on the sideline. It's going to be even prettier. Uh, but UCLA is <laughs> getting a ton of points. Uh, it's 13 and a half, 14 points right around there. I would try and get it to 14, mm -hmm. do what you got to in there. Um, they ran for over 200, uh, Joshua, um, Kelly ran for over 289 yards last year against USC. He's back. The UCLA offense is back. They got rolled last week against Utah, who I think, you know, is a team that could make the playoff if LSU beats Georgia. But I think um, UCLA was moving the ball. The turnovers were brutal in that game. I think UCLA has enough bottom line here to keep it within 14 points. So I'll take my man Chip Kelly uh, getting 14 points. SC has been an awesome story. They got pro receivers. Um, you know, it's another hold on to your butts because it's probably going to be a high-scoring game. Uh, but we'll take the points here with UCLA in a rivalry game. Probably the prettiest game to watch in college football juxtaposed with the ugliest game to me, which is any red and off-red team playing in a dome, like Razorbacks, Texas A&M, I can't do it. I just cannot uh, watch. I can't watch the uniforms. Yeah. Do you have, do you yeah, have, you got, you, you do have you, red on your body though. Yeah, I do. I have red on my body. I always, and I'm a, okay. a little, I'm a little dry right now in this climate here. I need to get moisturize. some, hey, get some, some lotion. It, it, hey. it helps with the aging. Um, <laughs> Which you've done remarkably, by the way, Steve. I, I was looking at the, the, I was running the tape back last week because that viral video, you don't look any different. It's just the mop, bro. Yeah. Hey, hey dude, so so if I'm going to, I'm trying to accomplish something here. You mentioned the rivalry. Next week, we've got Virginia Tech, Virginia, Commonwealth yes. Cup. Hard to call it a rivalry. We haven't won in 14, 15 years. I'm doing a suite. I'm doing the whole shebang. Thanksgiving crowd. So no pressure. No. <laughs> Couldn't ruin my entire weekend. No. Couldn't make me be mean to my kids and my family. Impossible. Not going to happen. We're going to win. Nope. But in the meantime, we have Virginia taking on Liberty this weekend, hosting them. Oh, that's called, that's the ultimate look-ahead spot right there, bro. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the unthinkable, and I'm going to take Virginia giving 17 points. I think it's because Bronco is somebody who's never run from the tech thing. We've gotten plenty, nope. plenty of tech thing all year, all year round. It's interesting. A lot of coaches they avoid it. Beat tech is like the first thing you see when you come in to that to that locker room. They make no bones about it. That's why I think it almost eases the tension this week. There's no elephant in the room. The elephant's been here all year, and I think he's going to be driving home the point, which is this is not tech week. I don't want to see a letdown. I'm going to be pissed off. We're going to get after their ass, and I think I think they get after them. My second most uh, confident pick, I'm sorry, is going to be Cal getting two and a half against the Cardinal. Did I do that right? The Cardinal? Yes, you did. Correct. Okay. I don't know how you don't have to comment on that, but people are telling me that could not only be unwatchable, but that Cal is probably going to win the game outright. Well, I'll tell you this. It's going to be a, it's a game of backups. Do you really want to watch a college football game full of backups? And That's an, what it is. Is it, at Stan teams. it's at Stanford, right? Yep, there'll be about maybe twenty thousand people there. For, oh, that's that's for a, for generous. A hated, hated rival. That's <laughs> generous. They need to put all the people that got hurt, you know, on the two teams up there? in the stands, and they could double the attendance. Now um, you're thinking. Now, now you're we're thinking. cooking with gas, as I like to say. So the third for me is another fade job, uh, in a little bit different of a way. 
I'm going to take Tech, Virginia Tech, the hated Hokies at home, oh. giving four points to Pitt. I know Pitt generally peaks late in the year, and there's going to be mm-hmm. a physical matchup. But at Lane Stadium, uh, you know, I know that's it's a look-ahead thing on this one as well. I just think Tech's been playing too good lately. Um, and, and I'm not buying what Pitt's selling. So I'm going to fade Tech, and if I lose this bet, I'm not mad at all. Okay. I was ask, I was going to ask you if you wanted Tech to come in with a win or a loss. Now I know. I just find it absolutely hilarious because everyone's making a big deal. Like, oh, this weekend's huge for the ACC Coastal. Yeah. A chance to play Clemson. Who the fuck wants to play Clemson That's again? the thing. I, mean, I already had to. It's a big deal for a program like us. Like, and listen, anything can happen. I got to say that, but it's become a formality. You go to that game to get beat by Clemson. Now I'll I'll say this. It almost means more. It means more in Charlottesville to beat tech than it does to go to the ACC championship and and play Clemson. It really does. Absolutely. It's, It's been that, that, Listen, I was there. I played 11 years in the league. Do the math. I played four years at Virginia, 15 years, man. Um, and, and, so they won your they won your senior year of high school. Yeah, I was at the game. Um, <laughs> so, so you're the jinx. I might be the jinx. Well, <laughs> hey, for the record, is you could go talk to Cedric Pierman or Zach Stare or any J- Jamal Jackson, a number of players that are less heralded that were in that class that could have been the jinx as well. So I'm going to try hey, to bro. try to get this. Hey. The, hey, the green light is always on. Oh, my God. I walked right into it. Um, it's on you. But I, I, I do feel good about that matchup, and we'll get to that next week. I'm certainly the, – the risk-reward for me – I mean, you think I partied after we beat Florida State and we rushed the field <laughs> beat after beating No, Florida. I know you did. I don't think. Yeah, the problem is I thought that I was still in college. My buddies were back. Can you imagine if we beat these cats the day after Thanksgiving – not to make this about me, Steve, but this is my first year that I could enjoy this. Con- and maybe I'm actually the gift, not the curse, because me being there in person pushes us over the edge. I was going to mention that, but the biggest thing is you have Liberty first. So be careful. Let's not forget about Liberty. Who if could, you really like Virginia who could? this week, take them first half. Okay. You really like them. All right, well, that's a, a little bit of extra uh, mustard there for you. If if you're yeah. listening at home, I, I think the smart play is both. I'll just put that out there. I'll go first on the NFL slate. My most yep. confident pick is the Niners giving three at home against the Packers. Uh, Aaron Rodgers not played as well on the road, and a dirty secret is that he hasn't thrown for multiple touchdowns a lot uh, against defenses that give up uh, you know, a certain seven uh, yards uh, per attempt, I think it is. So if, if you're giving up as a defense less than seven yards per attempt, you're going to play well against Aaron Rodgers. He's not thrown multiple touchdown passes against those teams this year. Um, He's not been over 240 yards passing this year against teams like that. He's really struggled on the road. It's been different. A relative struggle. He's still A-Rod. He's still a football robot. But Mm -hmm. I've never believed in Green Bay this year wholeheartedly. And I think this this is a matchup where San Francisco, whose run game has stalled a bit, is going to look at the film and see these Green Bay guys who at times look disinterested to stop the run, and they're going to say, we're going to get on track, outside zone, up their ass all game long. I think it's a big game for them, and I think they cover actually with ease. Yeah, I I really want to see the Packers' offensive line snap after snap in this game too because Niners got some war dogs, as you know, up front, man. I love watching those dudes play. They do. They're so good. And they're really good, and I always say this, the coverage – is I think the straw that serves the drink, but that front is very good. I think, you know, when you look at that that group up front, it's the perfect marriage, and they can get pressure with four because they can cover. 
And, uh, you know, certainly the Quan Alexander loss hurt, one of the best cover mm-hmm. linebackers in the league, but I don't think it's going to be enough for the Packers to uh, to survive at all, and I think the, I, I think the Niners cover with ease. My second most confident pick is Matty Ice against that much maligned, rightfully so, Tampa Bay Buccaneers back seven. Um, I think he's going to have a big day. It's minus four for the record. I think they're going to be well out in front of that, and uh, and and they continue this streak since they shuffled names in a hat basically and picked new people to assume responsibilities. You know. Um, Raheem coaching up the defense, doing some of the play calling. Uh, Dan Quinn can be a little bit more of a motivator and allow his coaches to do their things in different areas. They've been killer, especially on defense the last couple weeks. I think it continues. I think Jameis, who's battling an an ankle, has a tough day. They cover with ease. That's your fancy quarterback, right? Uh, Jameis, yeah, but I, he, uh, we moved on. Did you we, give up, you've given up on fantasy this year, huh? Yeah, we've, well, I've uh, given up, but I can't lose because if I lose, it's died tips territory, as you know. Guy Fieri, if I'm last place, got to sport that for a week. Third to last place right now, feeling good. Picked up Ryan Tannehill. He's assumed the new responsibilities. So uh, my third pick of the weekend is going to be uh, the Dolphins and Browns. The under 45 is the number. Uh, I just think with the injuries uh, you know, going on right now, it's going to be a sloppy game, and I, I just don't believe in the Browns. I, I've, I haven't been a believer all year. I'm not going to buy fool's gold based off the last two weeks. Um, I, I, I'm not buying them to put up a bunch of points, and I think Fitzpatrick could have a pretty erratic game. Yeah, there's a ton of defensive guys out in that game. That's the only thing that scares me because you know Fitzy's going to fucking sling it around, and, and Mayfield still has those toys to play with on offense. Well, I, I, did, a, I did a segment yesterday with your boy Ninkovich and we had to pick the two AFC wildcard teams, and we both agreed. You just can't trust the Browns. No. Like their schedule lines up and everything, but you just can't trust them. Like, I want to pick them because they're fascinating to me, Yeah, but you can't trust them. I just think there's too much going on with the injuries and the suspensions. And of course, that could play into the Dolphins' hands, but there's a lot of turbulence over there in Cleveland right now with everything that happened last week. A lot of motion, emotion dumped on that field, good and bad, last weekend. Uh, last you know Thursday night, feels like an eternity yeah. ago. I think it's going to be tough to follow up against the Dolphins team that you have to kind of overlook, and they've been playing better than people expect. So I would actually lean the Dolphins. I think you could take the Dolphins uh, to cover that big spread, but I like the under as well. I think it's a safe bet. Who do you have on Sunday? Uh, get ready to say it with me. Raiders are a playoff team. The Raiders are going to the playoffs. I like it. It starts here. Uh, I'm going to take the Raiders on the money line. They're giving two and a half, but I'll take them on the money line. I don't want anything to do with them. With uh, going against Sammy D and those Jets, uh, no points. The world is going to have the Ravens Monday night. The world, okay? The Ravens have covered the (laughs) the Ravens have covered every game the last four games by like 22 points. Like at some point, it has to end, and the Rams are going to have all their guys back. And this. Technically, is my last stand with the Rams. I've said it for like a month now, and they've gotten away with a couple wins and covers that they shouldn't have because they backed me up Sunday night because I'm not a Bears offense believer. I can't believe what the locker room must be like in Chicago, knowing how the defense plays compared to the offense, but that's a time for another podcast. <laughs> and I'm going to ride the Buffalo Bills. Uh, they've been a cover machine uh, when, I've, when I've been on them. So three and a half against Denver. I'm not sure what Denver wants. I'm not sure... Denver knows what they're getting into uh, going up to Buffalo for this game. So um, I like the Bills, the Rams, and the Raiders money line. I like almost all those picks. I mean, I, I worry about 
the Raiders and my brain is saying, go fucking pound the Raiders, but they are that West Coast team playing an early game, if I'm not mistaken. Tough spot, yeah. It's a tough their schedules, spot. Go look at their schedule. It's incredible yeah. this year. And the, and the Jets, it really is. And the Jets additionally have played erratically good at times. So I worry there. Um, you know, like you never know. Darnold has a good game, and and the Raiders. Yeah. I, I agree. They're a playoff team. I mean, they they could sneak in. And with the Chiefs, you never know what happens down the down the line here. Um, I really, I, that, I don't trust them either. Yeah, I don't trust them either. On, on I trust the Raiders maybe a little bit less. Um, but but mm-hmm. also the Raiders are healthier than the Chiefs. So I agree with you there. They're yeah. they're gonna make a playoff push. When you look at the the second game you're mentioning, the the Rams have made a lot of hay on defense. I am going to be glued to the TV during this game. I mentioned earlier you've got Yonda and Donald. You have Marcus Peters against his old team. You have uh, Stanley against the the edge guys. You've got Lamar, which is you know uh, worth the price of admission, anyways. But the Rams have made hay as a defensive football team, and they haven't played anybody lately as any good offensively. So okay. Uh, that that's my take on that game. I don't want to overthink it. I like the Ravens, and then third, you had the Bills. I love that pick because I think, as you mentioned, you know, young quarterback going up to Buffalo. You haven't gotten batteries and bags of uh, you know Gatorade bottles of piss thrown at your at your quick bus yet. Uh, yeah, toys. You haven't seen <laughs> sex toys. You know, come to a stop at the twenty yard line. Yeah, th- this is going to be a culture shock for you know, and 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 then at the same time. The Broncos have done nothing but squander opportunities to win games oh, this year. Four, four fourth quarter leads squandered. Uh, they lost a lot of close games, so I think this bodes well for the Bills as well. Very good. We're uh, we're in agreement then. We're, we're almost- hey, I did see somebody somebody uh, had a interesting, but I think it's a, another a next level bet what the payoff should be. Tell me. Did you see it? No. Nah. Ear piercing. Somebody said ear pierce. Yeah. Well, it's fucking really easy for you to come to me at this point. Do I have to get the Michael Jordan? Okay. What's the code if you have like is it less acceptable or more acceptable to have one ear pierced or two? I've never had either, so you're you're talking to the wrong guy. Man. Well, I'm not going down to the mall and getting my ear pierced. Just like you don't want to do stand up. I'm not going to the fucking mall kiosk and being like, yeah, get me one of those cubic zirconium studs. Dude, that would get the podcast many hits. I don't know. It's video, a, I'll be pretty upset. I'll be pretty upset if we didn't get the hits. I feel like I'm walking myself into that trap, doing something for the clicks, and we don't get any clicks. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. We're a startup. All right. Okay. We're 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 a, we're a diamond in the rough right now, as you All know. All right. So it's got to be somewhere in between a stand-up routine and the ear piercing. I still That's like what we're looking I for. still like stand up but um let's keep let's keep the I would rather get my ear pierced than than to go do stand up comedy. Just put it that way. Really? Okay, yes. so so how about if you lose you got to get your ear piece pierced. Oh. If I lose, I have to do stand up comedy. You kind of walked yourself into that. Yeah, let me think about that one. Okay, let's talk at the end of the All weekend. Right. I'm going to have a great weekend, so maybe I should have gotten you right now to commit to it, but uh Steve, appreciate you joining us. We'll have you back uh, next week, I believe. With Thanksgiving, we're going to work some things out. But gambling yep. never stops, right? It's the that's the that's the best that's the best part of Thanksgiving. There's football <laughs> from start to finish, from Thursday to Sunday, and because I know you like the sport, also yesterday marked the start of now until next Sunday, where there's bass college basketball during the day, yeah. every day. 
Yeah, no, it's it's a good time to be a sports fan. Not bad. Yeah. I mean, we don't have baseball anymore, and everybody knows I love baseball, but I also love hockey. Uh, Go Blues. I I might, at my lowest point, full disclosure, I did bet a Flames total in Vegas. So the running joke for me is that when I'm really on a cooler, I go bet hockey totals. Is that a degenerate move? What's the most degenerate bet before I let you go that somebody could make? What sport? Little little League Baseball. (laughs) At least, yeah. the, at least the little leaguers have the dignity, though, to go play the rest of the world. I, I think it's bullshit. You call it the World Series. You don't go play Japan after you you beat the Astros, which barely counts. I mean, uh, you, Sean Doolittle is a friend of the program, but I think they need yeah. the Nationals need to go, especially because they're the nation's capital. They need to go play South Korea. They need to go play Japan. They need to play Australia. I think it's a sham. I like it. We'll get into that later. Um, I will stay off the Little, little League World Series bet. Steve, appreciate you joining us, and happy Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for this segment. Thankful for you too, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Have a great week. So thanks for sticking around for Mailbag. Um, mailbag is fun. It's, it's, a, it's a segment we, we invented here. It's never been done. Never heard of it. Macon's gone. Usually he would be reading these questions. Thank you for sticking around. If you've gotten this far, you really like the pod. And I would say to send in your own mailbag question to at Chalk Media with the hashtag mailbag. We'll read it next week. Chalk Network, at Chalk Network. If you're going to run a media company, you should probably know the handle on Twitter of your media company. Mine is at Chalk Network. What's the handle of your media company? (laughs) Um, Let's get right into it. At Jaw Wickham, Jaw Wickham. If you were awarded ownership of any pro sports franchise, who do you pick and why? Listen, as a kid growing up, I used to play Madden a lot. Used to create a team that was like one of my favorite things. I love designing uniforms. I would be a football owner, first order of business, sign cap, get all this bullshit over with. I would love it. I would love to lend my voice to that that very seemingly stuck in their ways ownership group in the NFL. Uh, and I would love to design some killer uniforms and an awesome stadium. It would be just like Madden. Of course, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting the fact that I'm not actually that rich and that's not gonna happen. Uh, from Sterling Pingree, I'm going to see Sturgill for the first time in May. I'm still dubious about Sound and Fury. Go get it on vinyl, bro. I know I joke about vinyl a lot, but get that thing on vinyl. I'm coming around. I'm a big metamodern, high-top mountain guy, so am I. Also, Sailor's Guide to Earth. What is this show going to look like? Mixing his albums up into one show now is a wild mix. I saw him at the Black Cat in, uh, in D.C. a couple weeks ago for a Special Forces deal he does. And when I first heard Sound and Fury, I was just like, I liked it. I didn't love it. Because there is a growing pain that you got to go through when you when you have to remember when you love an artist you expect a certain thing and you have to get past your expectations so if i'm expecting some sort of country album infused with a heavy dose of southern rock and blues you know and i love that bluesy sturgill you know um this was different this is a rock and roll album which don't exist anymore and it took me a week or two the more I listen to it now, it's one of those albums that every day I have a different favorite song. And 
I, I joke about vinyl a lot. I'm a poser. I do have a record player. Um, and I had never used one really until recently. I actually, Cowboy Reed, I had to call him to come back to the office. I thought my record player was broken. The record had just stopped. Was I high? Was I under the influence of cannabis? This is a situation where I was. And it was tremendous experience sitting in the office, doing a little work, listening to a great album. So that, that show is going to be fucking awesome. It is going to have some throwbacks, and he's going to marry it seamlessly to his new stuff. I'm very happy for you. John Ben, are you a Bodo's or Einstein Brothers guy? This is, of course, Bodo's Bagel is a staple in Charlottesville, Virginia, and of course, I'm a Bodo's guy. Einstein bagels, nothing against them. I've never been in one outside an airport. And airport food generally isn't that good. College beer of choice, cheap beer. I forget who this is from. College cheap beer of choice, Hurricanes for me, 40 ounces. Uh, used to play Edward 40 Hands in college. That was where you uh, duct tape, I don't want to say what it was. Maybe you've played it out there. I don't want to like, maybe there's kids listening to the pod. Alcohol is poison. I should always note that. I was very good at drinking 40s though. I hold the world record for chugging one. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, And there was nothing better than a trip down Grady Avenue to snag a case. And by a case, it's not a casual beer run. A case of 40s weighs more than a small child like it is a lot of liquid we used to bong them off the second story of this apartment building it's called the fred that 15 football players lived at and of course if we're not getting pigeonholed enough we should probably just go outside and bong 40s off a two-story funnel do you know how hard it is to take down 40 ounces of liquid and foam at once it is the most painful moment of your life unless you've overcome some Terrible injury. I've broken bones, cracked my sternum. I've had surgeries. That one minute after you take in a 40-ouncer through a bong is one of the, it's awful. Um, and every, anytime you went, went to get them, it, it meant that, you know, back then we were immune to hangovers and it meant you had time off. So it was all good news. Nowadays, if I went to pick up a case of 40, I'm like, what's tomorrow going to be like? That's my entire thought process. So I missed that. A guy asked if I really think Hell or High Water was overrated. Yes. I think it was overrated. I did not enjoy it. I'm a huge Jeff Bridges fan. I saw some people saying, this is what the real country, no country for old man was. Get the fuck out of here, dude. Never... If you think Hell or High Water is better than No Country for Old Men, which I'm, I'm gathering is a lot of people, probably unfollow me. Bunch of white trash kids willing to rob banks and, and they're supposed to look like Gap models. Chris Pine, where do you get your haircut, bro? That haircut is not a bank robber, economic anxiety haircut. It's not. I'm not buying it. The... The dialogue was didactic, which I believe is the pronunciation for that word, and heavy-handed. You know, I, 
I wasn't a big fan of Jeff Bridges and his counterpart in the car. Like, yeah, we get it. You say like slightly off color shit to each other, but it's funny because you like each other and you're old. Like, like it should have been darker. We tried to be funny too much. Ben Foster was good. Ben Foster was very good. He's good in everything. I don't know if it was a bad movie, but it wasn't my taste. A little bit light. Funniest, funniest football player I've ever played with. That's William Hayes, hand down, hands down. Um, and that should be all the the mailbag time we have today. I mean, we've we've run over because this is uh, this is Saturday morning. You should just stay in bed if you if believe me. If you don't have kids, it doesn't have to be this pod. Just stay in bed and listen to podcasts. I wish I could do it now. I can't. I love my children very much. But the weekends are not the same. So thanks for sticking around for this entire time. We're going to close the show out. But first, I want to tease the Miles Teller interview that's dropping Sunday on the Fishbowl. Um, listen, I was a Miles Teller fan. I love Whiplash. I like some of his other movies, but I never really knew much about him. And my buddy Ryan Rossillo kind of said, hey, I know this guy, Miles Teller. He'd be perfect for your Fishbowl thing. You guys really get along. He's cool down to earth. So I don't know what to expect. He's the first actor we ever have on fishbowl so i'm a little bit nervous i don't want to waste hollywood people's times like all i see when i see people getting interviewed in hollywood is people storming off and and shit like landmines dumb questions i don't know but he was the coolest guy rolled up with no entourage big eagles fan we had a lot to talk about philly sports um and of course top gun coming out now and and whiplash and all that so take a look at this clip if you like it please check us out on sunday I mean, like, what, what about, like, what about method acting and that whole thing? What's the most, the craziest method acting story you've heard? What do you think about that whole thing? I think uh, there's a lot of guys, because acting is all point of view. It's yeah. all perspective. So yeah. I could, you could give, somebody could give us both the same scene, and we're going to interpret it um, two totally different ways based on your experiences in life and mm-hmm. how you are brought up and all these things. Um, so there's certain guys that feel to honestly portray uh, an experience, they have to live it themselves. Um, and I think that is true to a certain extent. I'll always, I want to always get a taste of, you know, if I can do a boot camp for, thank you for your service, or I can go to, you know, Bethesda hospitals, or I can go to, um, you know, if I can meet the guys and, you know, sit with them, uh, that's very helpful to me. And then there's other times you, maybe you're not afforded that, and so you just have to imagine what it'd be like. So whatever, whatever gets you there. Yeah. For me personally, if I was playing, um, you know, like dude, if we're in, you know, if we're filming Whiplash and in between after cut, JK is still, you know, on my ass and that you know, yelling at me and this now, I'd, I would be like, dude, get, you know, because that creates real tension the between the two. That's- it's fine, but honestly, there's so much tension in the scenes that you also need like you also on cut. You know, JK, we would always be, you know, it was pretty light. Really? Th- it, was, it was a very light, I mean, the scene works intense, but in between takes, like, yeah, we're cracking jokes. Yeah. Usually talking baseball. Talking baseball, that's what I'm into. Uh, that was before I became a baseball fan, so at that point, that would have been a great thing to follow up on. I'm sure he likes the Phillies. Uh, yeah, J.K. Simmons smacked the living shit out of him in that movie. Like, I felt like I was physically getting yelled at watching the movie. I was like, you know, like when you're a kid and you get yelled at, you're like, like, that's how I watched that entire movie. And 
he was terrific and we talk about in the in, in the interview as well how how poorly he was compensated i mean that's just kind of how it is with some of these indie films and now he gets to do bigger films like top gun good dude fun interview uh this show is running long and i have shit to do so i hope that you come back next time thanksgiving week next week we're going to still churn out two shows i think um we'll cross that bridge when we come to it but definitely come check us out on sunday fishbowl chalk media youtube like subscribe the whole deal thank you guys take care oh what a shame macon's not here anymore he had to go sell real estate he can't correct me on everything i got wrong what is it you have anything to say macon oh well i was gonna shut the i was awesome today i barely made any mistakes i'm sick i'm a great friend and i'm doing a podcast for free I shouldn't shit on Macon. Macon's done a tremendous job, but he's not here to correct me. And that's kind of the positive side of him leaving the show earlier. So I think I did pretty good. You guys can certainly tell me what I did wrong. I know you always will. Podcast uh, audience is really, it's tough. So thanks.